I want no part of the Kansas City Royals. <laughs> Who knew, right? Did I say on the last podcast that they were 45 games under 500? Something like that, yes. Like, don't worry, 45 games under. They're like the worst team in baseball. Holy crap. After watching the Mariners sweep the Astros, yeah. is there a chance that I can <laughs> flip-flop the Astros for the Royals this week God. when they have to face the Royals again oh. at T-Mobile Park? I just want no part of those guys. What? I'm tired of seeing seeing Witt and all these guys. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Is George Brett still playing for them? Why are they so good? <laughs> was Saberhagen on that you. team? Like, yeah, that's right. I used to watch Brett sports. Brett Saberhagen and oh. Mark Gubaza. Gubaza, yes. Do you remember Mark Gubaza? Of course. I'll tell you a story about Mark Gubaza, and it's a true one. Okay, good, because then I got one about Steve Balboni right after. You do no, not. <laughs> Bye-bye, Balboni. Was he on that team? The, of course he was. they throw a curveball, and Balboni would go ducking, and it was like over the outside <laughs> yeah, yeah, part yeah, of the yeah. corner. <laughs> Steve, bye-bye, Balboni. 1986. Now, this is true as opposed to most of the stories I tell on the show. <laughs> Finally. 1986, Hot Shot Scott. Yep. Well, it goes back to 1985. I, I was a student at Syracuse University, a freshman at Syracuse University in September of 1985. And when I got there, my new friends at Sadler Hall all asked me to be a part of something called a rotisserie league. Have you ever heard of a rotisserie league? I think there was a 30 for 30 about how that all started and everything. It was pretty 1985. I want to say I had never heard of it. In 1985, they didn't call it fantasy. Yeah. There was no such thing as fantasy football or anything else. It was only baseball and was called a rotisserie league where you got into a room with nine or 10 or 12 other owners and you bid on every player. How long do you think that took? Every little player in Major League Baseball you bid on and you had a budget. (laughs) You had to spend X amount. I think it was 260 units and fill out an entire team. Holy Lord. Well, I don't know why, but I ended up in in 1985. I guess this would have been now March of 1986. Okay. Because the season starts in April of 1986. I'm doing my first ever what they call rotisserie league. And you and we literally kept track of it On with paper. pen and paper yeah, you had to, and right. a calculator. Yeah. That's all that's a I mean, I was in a rotisserie chicken league <laughs> I mean, for years and years. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, God. Forget yes. it. Go ahead. Rotisserie League. Anyway, I ended up with Mark Gubaza. Yeah. He was one of my top starters. I thought it was a coup when I waited to the end of the of the bidding process and somehow came up with the number two starter of the <laughs> Royals. So now you fast forward to the summer between my freshman and sophomore years, which is now the season is going on. We're in the middle of the summer. Yeah. First season, Rotisserie League. And I get an internship with NBC Sports slash Mutual Sports in New York. Okay. Where I'm doing, I've told you this before, I'm doing like feeds to all the NBC affiliates where I'm interviewing people. Remember I told you the Lasorda story? I called Tommy Lasorda. He was taking a shit. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, can you <laughs> call can me back in five minutes? I was t- taking a shit. <laughs> He's all class. (laughs) Here I am. I'm like 19 years old, 18 years old. And I have to call like baseball players in hotel rooms during the middle of the summer, record the interview, chop up the interview, and then send quotes, cuts, clips to all the affiliates down the line. That's a big job for an intern. Yeah, I I wasn't on Mm. the air, but I was was sending stuff to affiliates. They're expecting it. So one of my guys says to me, "Want to you know, the Royals are 1985 Royals, right? 1986 Royals. They're on the road somewhere, and I decide I'm calling 
Brett Saberhagen. Mm. But I couldn't get through to Brett Saberhagen's room, but I got through to Mark Gubiza. Yeah. No one knew about fantasy leagues. We're in a rotisserie, whatever. I do the interview about the Royals with Mark Gubiza. And at the end of the interview, I don't know. I said, well, Mark, I got to tell you. <laughs> got to tell you. <laughs> I've gotten some trade offers for you. Yeah. I have you on my rotisserie team. Yeah. He breaks into like a two-minute soliloquy on all the reasons why I should don't do it. Oh my god! I'm always better in the second half of the year. <laughs> nice. He's like throwing stats at me. Yeah, you yeah. know that in the second half of the last three years, I've got a combined deal. He's selling me <laughs> on him. I'm, I'm trying not to trade Mark Gubiza. <laughs> so I figure, geez. You talk about inside information. Yeah, sure. Who's got better inside information? I'm talking the actual player. Right. I held on to him, and he sucked. And he sucked. <laughs> Here you thought you had the inside scoop. And he was terrible. Terrible. Burned you. And I was like, the next time I talk to Mark Gubazo, I'm going to ask him what his updated second half of the year stats are. <laughs> right. Anyway. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, God. The Mariners, man. Oh, I know we're supposed to wait. Yeah. But we should wait to segment number one because if we don't talk about the Mariners in segment number one it's going to be a blank segment but right. it's been incredible as you were walking through the door here I decided you know what they've got like I can actually tell you 38 games to go okay. they have played I believe 124 games so they've got 38 games to go and I know we want to save this for segment one but I decided as I was waiting for you as you were in traffic on yeah. 405 because or 90 because of the I would have loved to have been on 405. Nobody can be on 405. No, they can't. I decided, ah, well, I wait for Hot Shot. I'm going to take a look at the breakdown of their final 38. Look at their schedule. See how they end the year in yeah, late sure. September. When we're talking about the Seahawks, their final seven games <laughs> yeah. of the season are all at home. Really? Final seven. They end the year wow. on a seven-game homestand. Oh. It goes... Monday, September 25th, Houston, September 26th, Houston, September 27th, Houston, September 28th. They start a series with Texas for four games, seven games to end the season at home against Houston and Texas. And you are right now tied with Houston for all intents and purposes. And you are three games back as we record this of Texas. So if you just stay afloat with those two teams, yeah. You think anybody's going to buy tickets to go see Houston and Texas in the final seven games of the regular season? People are on Ticketmaster right now as you're speaking. (laughs) Like, holy shit, we got to get tickets out. Let's go. Oh, my God. That'd be incredible. Yeah, but like you said, just got to hang in there. Stay a a couple games away. Imagine imagine they're three back of Texas going into that final series. how about this? That's the seven last seven games of the season. Yeah. It's a homestand. They're on the road... The previous three days before that homestand starts, three games in Texas. Oh. So they are playing seven games against Texas and three games against Houston as the final 10 games Unreal. of the regular season. To make it that far, hopefully, with a chance to hopefully How control your own How would you like to destiny? be within, you say three, how about two or one and a half oh, or oh my... It. Going into those 10 games, you're two. Incredible. And it's all right there in front of you. Right there. Being able to control your own destiny. You don't have to look at any scoreboard. Nope. Right there. You can handle it right here. If you could somehow go seven and three in those 10. Oh, forget it. So amazing. So fun. Crazy. I did not see this uh, a a month ago. I was out. (laughs) No. I've been blindsided by by, by this truck, by this Mariner's truck. Yeah, yeah. Pretty exciting stuff. 
pretty exciting stuff. Episode 251, I should say, is now underway. Mobile, Alabama. Oh, Hello. Mobile, area sure. Area code 251, okay. the Mobile, Alabama area. Available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe and rate us, please, on Apple. Please, please, please consider becoming a Mitch Unfiltered patron. We could use you right now. If you're listening to this and you enjoy Mitch Unfiltered, $5 a month have access to all of the other shorter weekday shows. We continue to add new shows. We continue to add new regular guests, but we pay all of them a stipend, every one of them that yep. do weekly stuff. An example, on this Sunday that we're recording episode 251, we just did a special edition of the Mariners No Table. I figured, come on, you go to Houston right. and you sweep them and Julio's in the middle of an historic run. We've got to do a special edition of the Seattle Mariners No Table, which we did. Makes sense. And we posted. We're able to do that because of the patrons. So if you're not a patron and you'd like to have a little bit of access or just support the show, I hate to sound like a PBS <laughs> pledge drive. Yeah, we don't have tote bags, so don't even ask. Sorry, no tote bags. No. Nope. If you like the show, you want to support the show, go to MitchUnfiltered.com and click on Become a Patron at $5 a month. Rick Neuheisel, Randy Mueller, Danny O'Neill, Peter King, Jason Lockenfora, Slickhawk, Joe Doyle, Jason Churchill, the guys on the Seahawks note table, the guys on the Seattle Kraken note table. We're up to like 13, 14 people. We're paying them all a stipend. If you are out there and you enjoy anything that we do, and are willing to support the show, PBS, Pledge Drive, Mitch, MitchUnfiltered.com. <laughs> it's quite the stable you've put together of, of people. It's going to be a fun fall. Well, I figure that that's the way to do this, right? right? Yeah, yeah. They can only listen to you and me so long. Oh, I mean, yeah. Some well, can't wait for me to be gone. <laughs> I mean, I tell you, I'm out next week, and I know people are already... Well, that's right. You're out oh, next week. Yeah, you got to find a Yeah, a I got one. Do you really? Yeah, David Grosby. Really? I've yeah. heard of him. You ever heard of him? I think I took over for him at one point at KJR. It's going to be a very hectic week next week. Because not only are you out, yeah. I'm traveling back from Austin, Texas on that Sunday. Austin? Austin, Texas. Okay. Which also happens to be my son's birthday. And then I hear today from producer Steve, he can't produce the show on oh. Sunday because he's going bicycle riding in Canada. <laughs> That sounds terrible. <laughs> That's something he's choosing to do, he's right? He's choosing he to is. go bicycle riding in Canada. Right through the old uh, smoke and the so, wildfires. So maybe it's a, appropriate for me to take this opportunity to apologize to our listeners <laughs> because next week's show might be a little delayed. Right, right. It may not be Monday morning. Maybe it'll be Monday afternoon. Get out in front of it. we've got now. a lot of stuff going on. And yeah. I'm going to be in Austin, Texas. So Yeah, I'm going to be in the woods camping against my will. Yeah. Would you rather be in the... Is that by choice? No, it's against my will. No, it's not. You say that every year, but you do it again the following year. doesn't mean I love it. My kid loves it. Yeah. I'd love it, too, if everyone set everything up and tore everything down for me as well. No wonder she loves it. I'd do everything. Have you ever been to Austin, Texas? Uh, no. great city. I hear it's a great town. It's a great town. Probably not in August. It's probably oh, like 146 yeah. degrees. Tell everyone why you're going. It's just for fun. I'm taking my son, who's going to be a senior in high school, to... Uh, tour the campus at the university of wow, texas really in austin. he is interested oh in seeing the university of texas at austin is earl campbell gonna walk you around Wouldn't the campus <laughs> no major applewhite do it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know is earl campbell he probably can't even really walk anymore these days right wasn't he going through oh some i stuff, hope he can walk well he was a good one he was a great one except for one game Hmm. His most famous game. Do you know what his most You don't know what his most famous You're too young to remember his most famous game. Monday Night Football, Love You Blue. Is that when the, when the jersey the was... St 
He went down the sidelines against the Miami Dolphins. Was that the Dolphins? And they started singing the Houston Oilers. <laughs> yeah. The- Sons Awful. of bitches. <laughs> Sons of bitches. Texas, anyway, that would be cool. That'll be fun. We're going down to see the uh, University of Texas at Austin. Anyway, become a Mitch Unfiltered patron, please. MitchUnfiltered.com. Click become a patron. I always say it, and I mean it, if the $5 a month is legitimately a problem for you and you'd like to have access to all those shows that I just mentioned, just email me, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. The point of the exercise is not to eliminate people from being able to hear the show because they can't afford $5 a month. You can also go to Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com and write an email about the shows like Frank in Sacramento, California. Oh, okay. Best reason to pay the $5 as a patron and enjoy all the content? Scott's not on any of the shows. I knew it. God, I saw that coming. I saw that coming in a cab down First Avenue. I saw it. (laughs) Dot, dot, dot. I'm kidding. He's great. And I mean that, babe. Now, he wrote, he's great. And I mean that, babe. And I automatically thought back to Sammy Davis Jr. (laughs) I mean that, babe. Remember that? Uh, Of course. (laughs) Yeah. I think of Dennis Miller, but yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's Dennis Miller, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that, babe. Frank in Sacramento, California. Did you like Dennis Miller? I thought he was hilarious. He never did it for me, no. His his whole rant he did on SNL about how they picked the jurors for these major court cases. You know, you just used to make, you want me to recite it for you? Go ahead. Okay. So this is who you have deciding the major court cases in America, right? Yeah. 12 people whose major goal in life it is to make it home in time to see Alice reruns on the superstation because they think Flo is a real hoot. <laughs> That's who's deciding major court cases in America. <laughs> I used to make Wait me a laugh. Flo isn't a real hoot? <laughs> well, I, I, I loved it. I tend to agree. There's a new girl in town <laughs> I and she's feeling good. <laughs> Linda Lavin, yeah, right? Sure, yeah. I loved Alice. Yeah, me too. But that's who's deciding the major court cases. Why is he making fun of Flo? Well, that's just who... What did she do to deserve this? That's who's... You just pick random people who know nothing, who have never heard of O.J. Simpson. (laughs) You know, they just sit in their house and watch fucking reruns all day and don't know anything about anything. That's who... That's basically what he's saying. So you're a... I find him funny at times. When he was on Monday Night Football. Yeah. Well, that was a disaster. Remember when he was on Monday yeah. Night Football for like six minutes? I remember having to like Google shit he's talking about. Like, I'm, it's probably funny. I just don't get it. But yeah. Maybe his brand of humor is over my head a little bit. Maybe it's a little it's bit over too most smart. people's Maybe head. it's a little too smart for me. Like Bill Maher, although he's very political. Yeah. His brand of humor is a little over my head. Yeah. I, think I can see that. Yeah. Anyway, Frank in Sacramento, California really likes you. Okay. That's good. But he took a shot at he you. He did, yes. Mitch, listening. Oh, I love th- this one. Did you listen to episode 250? No. I listened to the coach, the Little League coach. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. How'd you find the Little League coach? I found him delightful. Dr. Christian Shuey, the dentist. I like when he talked about the, the different kind of stress as a player and a coach. Because yeah. I, yeah. I found that interesting. He because, was a good player. But you know, as a parent too, I mean, even as a parent like that. You have no control. It's awful. I'd rather be out there myself. Totally. Yeah. Those nerves are just... Yeah. Just when r- Piper comes to the plate... Oh, 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 rot with nerves. When she steps yeah. to the free throw line. Oh. Oh, forget it. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> by the way, they got to win. They got to win. Yeah, and they play on the day that this is releasing, the second game. Yep. Um, this email both entertains me <laughs> and pisses me the fuck off. Okay like, okay, like our show probably does half the time to people. Dear Mitch... Listening to episode 250, and with all due respect, Uh-oh. all you ever talk about with the Pac-12 story is the University of Washington and Oregon angle. How about all of your Washington State listeners and alums? 
Wouldn't hurt to oh, include no. some discussion on our future. Love the pod, but just don't understand. Brad and Spokane. Now, hold on a second. Is it just me or did you have a coog on? He starts by saying listening to episode 250. Yeah. And one of the guests was Alex Brink, yeah. the Washington State Cougar quarterback. Yeah. Who discussed Washington State's role in all this with me for 20 minutes. He jumped the gun. The listener just jumped the gun. No, he didn't jump the gun. See, I knew you were going to say he jumped the gun. Oh, no, he didn't jump the gun because in the very first segment, I tell people who are the guests are going to be. So he can't use the excuse that yeah. oh, I just hadn't gotten there yet. Well, I introduce the guests. <laughs> I say 12 minutes into the podcast, episode 250, yeah. Alex Brink is going to be on the show to talk about Washington State. So, no. So, no. I don't accept well, that he jumped the gun a little you're bit. You're suggesting he listens to every second of the podcast. Maybe well, at he least fast forwards a little bit. A little bit? 12 minutes. At okay. Least. <laughs> a, a little bit. So, he didn't hear me say in the first segment that Alex Brink's going to be on. Yeah. And he didn't hear Alex Brink on. Yeah. And then he wrote this email. So how much of episode 250 yeah. did Brad and Spokane really listen? He to? goes right to the other stuff. That's it. And then Brad's done. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing. I've had people Come like reach, I've had people Come like on. say stuff to me on Twitter. Like some something I'll say early on in the podcast, and then I'll yeah. I'll pay it off later, or did, and then I'll get another tweet. Oh, whoops, sorry, I didn't listen long enough. But this guy never wrote you back and said no. Nope. Oh wow, interesting. Just thinks you never talk about it, even though you completely addressed it. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> I get why that's irritating. I love the podcast. <laughs> yeah. This probably didn't happen to you because of the brand of humor that you did on the T-Man show. But what used to happen to me a lot was I would do a show on KJR. Uh -huh. And then like I'd go to the golf course or something. And somebody would come up to me and said, you know what I heard? I heard something. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like. Yeah, you heard it from me. <laughs> what are you trying to tell me yeah. the things that I told you? Right. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that was my idea. I'm the one that came up with that. You know where you heard that? Yeah, right. <laughs> You're telling me? <laughs> Guests on this episode 250, you'll uh, be happy to know the return of Rick Neuheisel. Great. Forever tied to the Pac-12, Pac-10, yeah. Pac-8 as both a coach and a terrific quarterback, a Rose Bowl winning quarterback. Right. He offers his perspective on all of the changes in the Pac-12 and what happens next, yada, yada. I wasn't sure if you're going to have him back on this year, so I didn't want to bring it up, but I'm yeah. oh, so yeah. happy he's back. So I want to hear yeah. what he has to say about this. I've been angling to have him on for a couple of weeks. He's been busy traveling the end of his summer before he gets sure. back to work. But hearing that perspective from somebody who bleeds the Pac-12. When he was the coach of Colorado, were they Pac-12? No, they were not Pac-12. They Pac were not Pac-12 yet. No, okay. No. I was just curious. Not that I remember, no. Okay. But he became a Pac-12 coach at yeah, Washington. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Then went back to his alma mater and obviously was the quarterback. Brady Henderson, ESPN.com, Seahawks insider on another Hawks preseason victory. Oh, they can't be stopped. No, you can only hope to contain That's them. That's right, in the preseason. Yep. Who stood out both in a good way Mm. and a bad way. Okay. Yeah. We'll let Brady Henderson talk about the guy who stood out in a bad way. Okay. Did you watch? Some. The guy who's responsible because he's so good, that's the reason why the number five overall pick can't oh. play corner because this guy has been so good and so special. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Jason Lockenfora <laughs> oh, is back. NFL insider, Washington Post writer, sports talk radio host, my buddy Jason Lockenfora, who immediately spends the first four minutes of the interview 
bitching about a certain KJR afternoon talk show host. What? And his behavior during the All-Star game. Do you remember there was an incident between a KJR afternoon host and a Baltimore Oriole relief pitcher? No. During the All-Star game? This past All-Star game. In Seattle. I never heard this story. How did I completely miss it? Oh, yes, you have. I like when people tell you what you have and haven't heard in life. (laughs) When I tell you, you're going to say, oh, yeah, you know. Really? Well, there's a relief pitcher on Baltimore, Jason Lockenfor's favorite team. Yeah. Who's a really good relief pitcher, and his name is Felix. Oh. And they may have called him King Felix. Like one guy in Baltimore called him King Felix, and that didn't sit well with the KJR host, who then approached Felix, who doesn't really speak English, on the field during the All-Star game, and that video went viral. He was scolding him. I Do you yeah. know? You know? You're that telling sounds me you, familiar. I now. told yeah. you it would sound familiar. I, I hate to say, but it does sound familiar. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I definitely yeah. know who the host is. I made either the mistake or the very entertaining mistake of bringing up the reliever on the Orioles named Felix because that set Jason Lock and Fora a fire about the incident at the All Star game involving wow. the KJR host. Can't yes. wait to hear this. Four or five minutes of oh, I can't wait. Nonstop. Punching. I know it's not Jason's style to bitch and complain about something, <laughs> but for once, I just want to hear him do it. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> when you think about Daniel's broiler hotshot, appetizers are not necessarily the first thing that comes to mind, but we're talking apps with Lindsay Schwartz on this episode 251, like bacon-wrapped scallops. And don't forget, September the 16th, from 5 to 8 p.m., at the Seattle location of Daniel's Broiler, the Bourbon Bash, the Seattle Bourbon Bash 2023. Call the restaurants and they'll take your reservation anytime you please. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com, more than a financial advisor. Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza. All the great things going on over there at Zeke's with expansion down to Portland, east to Idaho. You got to download their new app. It's been revamped. Give it a try. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions. Here comes Beat the Boys again this year. Fall and winter will be here before you know it and start considering replacing that beaten up old fireplace at a new one outside like we did firesidehomesolutions.com the Woodenville office of cross country mortgage Jordan flowers and its cross country team they have all the answers and some surprises too don't be scared away by all the news that you see on interest rates there are ways to get things done programs that they have at cross country mortgage for you 425-890-2957 again 425-890-2957 That's Jordan Flowers' personal cell phone, so give him a call. Episode 251, ladies and gentlemen, begins officially right now. Unfiltered. I think right now they're in they're in great shape. Everybody's feeling good. Yeah, you lost two in a row. You're playing what they say is a very bad team in Kansas City. Go out and wipe the field with them. Right. For God's sake. Take sense. care of them. Take care of them. Step on their throats, Hotshot. Unfiltered. I'm looking at the American League starters and the Cy Young candidates, and I'm only seeing one, maybe two, that are at this moment have a better portfolio. If you want want to say 
that statistical portfolio than George Kirby. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 251 now. Hotshot Scott is officially underway. Chickasaw, Alabama. Hello. You ever heard of Chickasaw? I have not. Nor have uh, Citronelle, Alabama. Ever heard of Citronelle, Alabama? No, but I love the candles. Crayola, Alabama. Hello. I love their markers. Yeah. Never been there. Have you been to Alabama? I have been to Alabama. Yes, I have. Why? Well, I lived in... Fl- <laughs> I mean, why would anyone go to Alabama, for God's for sake? For a few reasons. When you live in Florida, when you grow up in Florida and you get in a car and you travel up the East Coast, I think yeah. you... I don't think you have much of a choice but to travel through Alabama. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I could be wrong about that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I ought to get an out. Al- well, I got one here. <laughs> Maybe we should get somebody from no. Florida to answer that no, for us. No, you're right. I don't, I don't know. That. <laughs> what are you talking about? No. Maybe if you had to Georgia. go to Texas. You got to go through Georgia, not oh, Alabama. Okay. I guess right. from the panhandle, you got to go through Alabama. That's wrong. I, uh, I take that back. Yeah. No, but I've definitely been to Alabama. I've been to Birmingham, Alabama because I played a golf course. I went on a golf trip with some buddies and we played a very... I want to say famous or infamous, depending upon how you look at a golf course in Alabama, who was supposed to host the PGA Championship years and years ago, but lost it. The PGA took it from them because of the lack of diversity of their membership. Oh, they're still doing that? Well, there was back, (laughs) yes. And they lost it. It's called um, Shoal Creek. Never heard of it. A golf club called Shoal Creek. Yes. Yes. And you played it. I played it and I had a very memorable first hole. I don't remember much about my my round at Shoal Creek, okay. but I remember the first hole. Go on. Well, it's not interesting to anybody. Okay. It was a par four, a nondescript par four. I hit it right off the tee into the right rough, and there was a tree between me and the green. Okay. A little bit off to the right. I didn't need to hit the tree, but I hit my second shot, and I clunked the tree, and it came right, almost hit me back. <laughs> That sounds like me if I were to ever play. I had to dance out of the way from the ball, like hitting me on the ricochet. Yeah. And then I made it. And I actually not hold out, hold out from like 165 on my, I made a birdie, walked off. Just just how you drew it up earlier. And I I said to the member, I said to the member who was with us, Mm -hmm. how many guys knock it off a tree, nearly ricochet back and hit, and then make this next shot for bird. Come on, that's a birdie. That's, that's a birdie. It's a birdie. That's a birdie. A solid birdie right Looks there. Looks like a three on the scorecard. Yes, I don't know. it does. It's like a routine birdie to me. Anyway, <laughs> Shoal Creek Golf Club. Gotcha. Yeah. Never been to Alabama myself. No. You'd probably want to go to Alabama to an Auburn, Alabama, a Tuscaloosa game. Yeah, that, would, that I would go to for sure. We have sure. friends who go to the University of Alabama. It's a fun town. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, so I don't know. Anyway, episode 251. Have you recovered from trying to find Peacock on your uh, television set? I don't there? have any trouble. Oh really? You if feel I'm like on for everything I else, a, Netflix, okay. Apple TV, you can't. You don't know how to do anything on certain TVs in the house, and yeah. we we have a few. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on certain TVs in the house, yeah. I can hit this remote on the one that you're looking at right now, and I can say Peacock. It takes me right to Peacock. Didn't I tell you that trick? Like a year ago, yeah, I think yeah, I'm I mean, the one that I, brought that to your attention. Yeah, I know, okay. but I have these fancy remotes in other places that don't do that. Oh, gotcha. They're like universal remotes, oh, like yeah, third-party yeah. remotes. Can't don't do, do that. You have so to good. do it with the actual remote from the, the Xfinity cable company. one. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So I find Peacock on certain TVs, no problem. What I found, did you watch the game yeah. on Sunday? What I found interesting, I don't know if anybody else noticed this besides me. Okay. Somebody must have noticed it. Peacock used a portion of the Mariners broadcast. Yeah, I heard Sims. And a portion of the Houston. Did you hear some voices yeah, that you didn't that's recognize? Right, yeah. Okay. So you heard Sims and I think Ryan Roland Smith. Yep. Yep. 
from the Mariners broadcast. The third guy in the booth must have been a Houston Astros guy because he was he was talking about the Astros. Sims and Ryan Roland Smith were talking about the Mariners. They're supposed to be calling the game clearly for both Houston and Seattle markets. And you could tell as Seattle scored like six runs to start the game. Sims was trying to be excited, but he was like, I don't want to offend the guy over here. I could feel the whole thing happen. He had to play it a little bit on the fence because it's a... It's a bro- and the two guys that are in the stands that are interviewing people, they're from the Astros. So I could feel a little bit of stress about yeah. how excited it, it, Sims it he like, wanted to be while while the Mariners were scoring runs. It did feel a little clunky. The whole thing just yeah. felt a little off. That's okay. Yeah, who were the guys at the end doing the interviews? Those must have been Houston guys. Because there was a there was an Ohio State guy. Yeah. Yeah. It was must all been, excited. Must have been Houston Astros okay. because they split the broadcast. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe they were NBC guys? No, no, no. They're, they were Astros? It was half Astros okay. broadcast team, half Mariners broadcast team. That was kind of weird. It was a little weird. But at least fine. I got a chance to watch the game. Yes. Half these games I can't even find. <laughs> I'm lucky to find Peacock. Right. Yeah, but... Uh, so you've recovered. That's good. Very easy for you. No, very easy to find okay. Peacock. Sorry. Very, very easy to find Peacock. I, I'm on cloud nine. If you're a Mariners fan and you like to go to the games or like to... How could you not be on cloud nine? They sweep the Astros in Houston. Man, those Royals games put a lot of years, took a lot of years off my life. Oh, my gosh. Oh, God. Those were battles. Oh, my God. Every one of them. They're supposed to quit. Don't they know they're 43 (laughs) games under five? They're supposed to be playing for draft positioning. I'm with you. Aren't they supposed to be tanking games? (laughs) Give it to us, for God's sake. For God's sakes, every time I looked up, Witt was inside the park home runs. They're hustling. (laughs) They're battering our our good pitching. I mean, I was like... Dude, you're supposed to fall down. I know. Lay down like a bowling pin. Nope. Please. They just go down. Refuse to do it against no, the No, no, it was not fun. That series was not. That was the most excruciating three out of four winning series right. that I think I've ever watched. People were like uh, walking around all uh, pissed off because they, they won three out of four, they by the way. I had like from the cartoons, the bandages on my face yes, after, right. after watching <laughs> those games. It was terrible. I know. we got terrible. Our, But they've weird. won six in a row now. Yep. They've won 14 out of 17 now, Hotshot. They're 19 and 5 in their last 24 games. So, as of the moment that you and I record this, do you you realize the Seattle Mariners are not only 69 and 55, 14 games over 500. They are now essentially tied for the number 2 wild card and the number 3 wild card. Mm-hmm. And they are 3 3 games behind Texas for the American League West crown. We are now refocusing our efforts on winning the effing division. Jay Buhner must have talked to him. Remember he got all pissed off when they had the wild card yeah. standings up in 95? Wild card? Wild card. We're, we're, we're catching the Angels, God damn it. We're the wild card. Right, right, right. You probably don't have this in front of you, but do you happen to remember like how big a lead Texas had on them at one point? I remember checking the standings like oh, sure. a month or two ago. Oh, sure. They were way into double digits. 12 games or something. You mean at the or... lowest point? Yeah. Oh, way into double digits. Unbelievable. Way into double digits. And Texas has helped them out. They've come back to earth and they've had injuries and they're three games behind Texas. They're tied for Houston and their last 10 games of the year are against Texas and Houston. Seven against Texas, three against Houston, and seven of the 10 are here between September the 25th, Monday, to Sunday, October oh, 1st. Get your tickets, everybody. Yeah. Sunday, October 1st, I'm assuming the, the Seahawks play somebody on Sunday, October the 1st. 
That's the last game of the regular season for the Mariners against the Texas Rangers on the same day that the Seahawks are playing somebody on October the 1st. 38 games to play, 18 home, 20 on the road, coming off a sweep of the Houston Astros. And they, yeah, the Sunday game was a little bit tight on Peacock. Peacock, It got a little bit tight because you're up 6-0 and then you lost your starter to a strained shoulder. They come back and score five. But really, the series, I hate to say it, I don't want to say it too loud, was kind of lopsided. Yeah, it really was. The Mariners kind of put a hurting on the Astros. And in fact, did you see the Saturday night scuffle when one of the Mariners went deep with a home run? I think it yeah. might have been Dylan Moore, and then the next guy got plunked. And Is that both. when Julio grabbed him and kind of Julio walked grabbed him away? Him. And yeah. You know, what's interesting about that, and nothing ever happens in those in those fights where yeah. all the bench is clear, but there's something interesting. Maybe I'm looking into it. Okay. But you know what it told me? What? It almost told me that the Mariners became, in that moment, a serious antagonist to the... Almost Hmm. for the last five or seven years, they haven't really taken us very seriously. Kind of like an annoying little brother. Right. Even in the the postseason series, Alvarez hits the home run. They, They end up beating us, whatever it was, four games to two, four games to one. You never really felt like the Astros felt threatened That's by right. the Mariners. That's a good call. But then they beat up on him on Friday. They've beaten up on him this year a little bit. Then on Saturday, they take a 4 nothing lead against their best pitcher, their Cy Young Valdez, their Cy Young Award. He hits the next guy. Almost you felt like, hmm. Got to him a little bit. Oh. <laughs> exactly. That's a really good call. Oh. You guys are a little testy, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. Right? I really do believe that if that exact same thing happened two years ago, guy hits a home run, makes it 4 nothing. even if the Mariners had won the previous night, I don't think the Astros hit the Mariners because they don't. Eh, it's the Mariners. I'm not worried about them. Gives a shit about these little guys. Right, right. They're having their moment. Fine. But I don't think they look at it that way anymore. That's a, that's a really good call. I think you're right. I think they finally kind of got to him a yeah, little bit. Yeah, they're under. We're under their skin now. Yeah, it was great on Sunday. They jumped up six nothing on him. I'm yep. like, God, one more beating. Here we go. Right. It wasn't, but it was cool to jump out on him. And, and how about the fact that I send you a text about Julio Rodriguez? <laughs> yeah. And I say to you, what are the chances that he's going to go 0 for five on the day that we're recording the? Because here we are wanting to talk about the great streak, right. the four games, and the history. And it really was history. No player has ever done it in the history of Major League Baseball. What are the chances on the day that we record this, he cools down and goes 0 for 5? And you were like, yep. Yeah, that, that's how that'll go. Ten seconds later, he doubled down the right field line. <laughs> he just can't get him out. It just felt like you could not get At him out. At that point, I think he was 18 of 23. I saw your Something tweet about like him raising his average that many points in August. That's incredible. Can you uh, believe that? Amazing. Can you believe what he's doing? No. It's incredible, and and there's uh, yeah. so much about it that's interesting. But four games, 17 hits. There's only been one guy, and that's like 1925, the Brooklyn Robins. Yeah. One guy who had four consecutive games with four hits or more. So he's now one of two guys. And that guy, forget his name. Yeah. I tweeted it out. I was going to write it down. He had 16 hits in four games. Julio had 17 hits in four games. He had zero home runs, that guy, for the Brooklyn Robins yeah. in those four games. Julio's had like two home runs or three home runs. in the. He had literally 
better than Ted Williams, Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, Ken Graffiti, Ty Cobb, whoever you think is the great Babe Ruth. <laughs> right. But listen, Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb, they were they were hitting against pitchers that stunk six out of seven games. Yeah. This is 2023 where all the pitchers are throwing 115 miles an hour. <laughs> right. Yeah. This guy, Julio, had the greatest four days in the history of Major League Baseball. And some would say... Maybe they won't, but let's just pretend they do. Some might say to me, okay, it was a gr- it was great. It was historic. But it's still four days. It doesn't mean all that much. It's four days. Yeah. It's not like you luck into that, like a, just a pedestrian player would have the 17 hits over four games. It happened to Julio Rodriguez for a reason. There's a reason, no disrespect to Ty France or J.P. Crawford, that it's not one of those guys. Right. Ted Williams didn't do it. <laughs> Right. Okay, it does. It means something. This is not a fluky, like, oh, it's fun, good for Julio. No, it means something. Yeah. Oh, you you have to be incredibly, incredibly gifted and talented. And there's some other things about it. Number one, what have we been saying, or some people have been saying about Julio for a year and a half now? Never gets the clutch hit. Yeah. Never gets the clutch hit. He's O for the world in moments in the eighth and ninth inning when the game is on the line. By the way, go look at these 17 hits and ask yourself the question, how many were clutch late in games to put the Mariners ahead and put them in position to win? Yeah. So that's the first thing I would say. Okay. The second thing I would say is, you know, guys have four hits all the time. They don't have four straight games, yeah. but guys get four hits all the time. Probably every other day in baseball, somebody gets four hits. Yeah. They don't always win those games. Right, yeah. The Mariners won every one of them. So the four hits each game meant something yeah. to the to the Mariners, and it was contagious. It was infectious. Yeah. They all started hitting. They are hitting at an unbelievable clip. The Mariners are not just Dylan Moore. I mean, <laughs> Everybody. There's so good words left and right. They, they can't catch Dylan Moore's infield flies. He's so good. <laughs> I mean, holy shit. <laughs> I mean, one thing about Julio I'd say as well is that I, I don't think people have forgotten, but... The knock on A-Rod for a lot of years was, well, he's doing it when it doesn't matter. You know, even at the Yankees, he does it in October. He does it. It fucking matters right now. Like, they're fighting yes. for their lives. Yes. And that's when he turned it on, man. And a lot of these hits, as I just said, I'll say it a different way. A lot of these hits could be empty hits. Right. That's what, yeah. Where, okay, it's late in the game and it's you're losing 8-1. That's right. Every one of these hits feels like it's been a big one. We needed them all, it felt like. Big one. Yep. And it's meant victories. And he's put the team on his shoulders yep. and carried them to six in a row, seven in a row, 15 and 19. Yeah. He has. It's it's crazy. And if you don't think the Mariners' offense, if you don't think it's a domino effect, right? I'll give you these stats. These are the stats in the American League. These are the these are the rankings that the the Seattle Mariners have in the American League since the All-Star break. Okay. And then I'll tell you what they were before the All-Star break in the same stat. They're fourth in the American League in runs scored as a team since the All-Star break. Right. They were eighth going into the All-Star break. They're fifth in the American League in team batting average since the All-Star break. They were 10th going into the All-Star break. They're fifth in the league in on-base percentage since the All-Star break. They were ninth going into the All-Star break. They're fourth in OPS since the All-Star break. They were 10th going into the All-Star break. They're third in home runs in the American League. They were ninth going into the All-Star break. They're second in doubles in the American League since the All-Star break. They were eighth. And they're second in stolen bases. They were eighth. You can't do that with one guy getting 17 hits. That's right. 
over a period of time since the All-Star break, they have, as a team, they have used Julio in some weird way to catapult them all. They're all hitting. Every last one of them. Canzone? Four hits on Sunday. Dylan Moore? Hitting the ball out of the ballpark like Babe Ruth. Four hits. They both had four hits. It's unbelievable. You're right. It is contagious. It's completely infectious. Now, the flip side to that is he's going to cool down. Yes. I think I said on on the Mariners note table that we released on this Sunday, I think I said to the guys, listen, if you want to use a golf analogy, when a guy goes out and shoots 59 and becomes like the fourth or the fifth or the sixth guy to ever shoot 59 on the PGA Tour on a Friday, what does he inevitably shoot on Saturday? Yeah. 75. Yeah. You can never do it back to back. Right. So when Julio cools down, and I don't know whether it's right now on the Sunday that he went one for five or what is it, he's going to cool down. Sure. He's going to, and he may actually hit a wall, and when he cools down, maybe he'll go two for a, 20 over a period of time. My question is, what happens to the Mariners as a team when he settles into normalcy? But if he cools down, let's say he does half of what he's doing now. <laughs> we'll take a half. We'll take half of what he did. That's, well, that's of, cooling down, right? That's 380. Well, he ain't cooling down to 380. All right. Well, that would be cooling down for what he's been doing lately. It's just incredible. What was the, the last game of the year? You said it was October 1st on Sunday? Is that They what play said? seven games to end the season at home, a seven-game homestand that's Houston and Texas that ends on Sunday, October the 1st. That's after coming back from Texas. So their last 10 games of the year are Texas and Houston. So yes. that, that last game on October, October 1st, 1st yes. Sunday, you Sunday, said? Sunday, yes. And you said it was probably a Seahawks game. Well, it, it starts at this moment at 12-10, though they could change that. Well, this, this, you'll be happy to know the Seahawks are not playing Sunday. They're playing on Monday Night Football da, da, against da, da, the Giants. Dave Craig. To Daryl Turner for 80 yards on the score. But the New York Giants led by Joe Pisacic. I prefer Phil Simms. Phil Simms right there. Jeff Hostetler right there. So O.J. Anderson. Oh, and Dave Meggett. Oh, what a backfield those two. Forget it. Joe Morris. Steven Touchdown maker. Joe Morris. Jolton Joe Morris. Do you know where he went to college? One of the all-time leading rushers at that college oh Syracuse more than Jim Brown more than Floyd Little more than Ernie Davis did he have a little brother that played two for a minute Jolton Joe Morris right there who was his little brother I think he had a little brother that played as well who was kind of was pretty good for a minute little short guy maybe anyway all eyes in Seattle on the Mariners that Sunday with no Seahawks game that's going to be incredible and then we wait for Monday Night Football Monday Night Football the next night amazing could be a fun time and then we record it Midnight. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's I forgot about that part. Never mind. I'm not Three excited. guests, <laughs> including Jason Locke and four, going off on a Woo. popular KJR afternoon talk shows for his antics during the All-Star break. Mitch Unfiltered, episode 251. It's been a while since my friend and Mitch Unfiltered partner John Waterstrat joined us, and there's good reason. He's been busy. An exciting major facelift to some of the fireside showrooms. How are you, J-Dub? I'm doing great, Mitch. Thanks for having me back. And yes, it, it has been busy, and we're excited to unveil some new, cool new projects. We have a new sales director that came along, and he's been putting his footprint on the showrooms, and we're excited about what he's doing. We're going to put some new fireplaces you've never seen 
seen before, and then we're redoing our whole outdoor kitchen area. Wow. The fantastic flagship Bellevue location was already beautiful, so I can't wait to drop by and see it. So what's the rumor about some big project you're coming up, some enormous fireplace that you guys are ready to install? Yes, our commercial department is doing a fantastic job. And as we've talked about before, we can do almost anything in fireplaces. And custom fireplaces are getting bigger and bigger. And we're hoping to uh, unveil the one of the largest fireplaces in North America. It's going to be pretty exciting stuff. How big? Roughly 25 feet. And you're not going to tell us where it is, but we'll be able to see it sometime? And we'll be able to see it and we'll talk about it. Yeah, it'll be exciting. Oh, that's yeah. going to be fun. So now that we've reached, let's call it the off-season for fireplace use, it's actually, you and I talk about this, one of the better times of the year to start the process of redoing the fireplaces in your home or, like you guys did for us, an outdoor unit. Yes. I mean, when the weather gets nice out there, things go a little bit faster. So we're not fighting the weather, whether we have to extract a fireplace, put a new one in. And then again, outside as well. When you're out there, we can get something done pretty quickly for you right now. And so when you're looking at the off season and you have a schedule and and you want to get something done quickly, it's the best time to do it. Yeah. Whether it's fireplaces or garage doors, begin your search at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. I'll bet you'll end your search there too. It's sponsors like John and Fireside that make our shows and growing guest lists possible. Fireside Home Solutions and FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Hey, look who it is. Katie Versio, the Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. The market's up. How's everything at Evergreen? I'm doing well, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Everything here is going well. How are you doing? Everybody is good here. I'm ready for the new trivia quiz. The theme today is what? Today we're doing a economic and market update. I'm okay. revisiting some of the questions we discussed at this time last year and just seeing how things have changed. Questions that I undoubtedly missed at this time last year. I'll try to get some answers right and I'm ready for question number one from Evergreen Golf Call. So the Federal Reserve started increasing interest rates in March of 2022 in an effort to cool inflation and slow down the economy without tipping us into a recession. How many times has the Fed raised rates since March of 2022? Is it seven times, nine times, or 11? It's a lot. I'm throwing seven out. It's either nine or 11. 11 sounds extremely high. I'm going to go nine. So it actually is 11 times. So the Fed has the fastest tightening cycle on record where interest rates have increased significantly. Now we see the two year treasury around 4.8%. So while we don't know what will happen moving forward, if they're going to raise again, if they'll pause or if they'll cut, we think now is a good time to lock in yields on fixed income. And of course, Mitch is in a familiar spot. Oh, for one, I'm ready for question number two. Okay, so in June of 2022, the inflation rate was 9.1%, the highest rate in four decades. What's the current inflation rate as of June 2023? Is it 3%, 4%, or 5%? Well, it's way down, but I don't think it's down to three, so I'll go 4% B again. It's actually 3%. So inflation has come down significantly over the last 12 months. In addition, unemployment has stayed low under 4%. Right now it's under 3.6%. What they've been doing appears to have had some effect on these markers. 
And there I am at 0 for 2. I'm probably staring at another 0% in the face. I'm ready for question number three. Have a little mercy on me, would you please, Katie? <laughs> All right, I'm giving you an easy one this time. So it's a true or false. Okay. Both stocks and bonds are up in 2023. Absolutely true. I'm going to get one right, Katie. Ding, ding, ding. That's right. <laughs> Stocks are up 19% and bonds are up a little over 2%. So this is following the worst year on record for a balanced portfolio that I know we've talked about in the past. So it's been a strong start in the first half of the year. All the ups and downs over the last many years make this a great time to learn more about my partner, Evergreen Golf Call, a one-stop shop for all of your investment needs. Learn about them at evergreengk.com. Unfiltered. In the old days, you had to develop freshmen to get that done. Now, no longer. But in terms of the locker room and creating a culture and some people that are going to, you know, buy into a loyalty idea about a university, those days are gone. That's Pollyanna stuff. The wait is now over, ladies and gentlemen. He's back. He's wearing a Cubs hat. He's healthy, which is more than I can say for his beloved football conference. The one he starred in as a quarterback and a coach. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you CBS College Football Analyst, XM Serious Talkster as well, Rick Neuheisel. How are you, Rick? Mitch, I'm wonderful. You look well as, as tired. well. I'm uh, tired. I, know you've I been, look tired. I know you've, you, you've been on the golf course. You, you've uh, shared with me some of your brilliance yeah. on, on the said on said golf course. Yes. Uh, but uh, the summer winds down. I'm headed back to New York here in just a couple of weeks as we get ready for our last journey through sec territory okay uh we okay. got the sec package for one more season along with that though we get seven big 10 games so it's kind of a a multi package this year and then next year we'll uh begin just exclusively that 330 window with the big 10 and the big 10 is no longer of course the big 10 it was the big 11 then it went to the big 14 <laughs> and now we are the big 18 including our beloved we'll get, University of Washington. We'll get and there, I know we'll get there. We'll get there in a moment, but let's get some personal business out of the way. It's becoming very disconcerting. I'm just going to lay it out here on the table. Okay. When I'm at the golf course getting ready to play a round of golf on a typical midweek lazy afternoon, and a cart drives by with Rick Neuheisel in it, it makes me feel sad. It makes me feel like a, a second-class citizen. Now, a lot of people in our audience would say, Mitch, don't bring this up on the show. Nobody wants to hear this. Handle this with Rick off the air like two pros, like two friends, and just talk college football on the show. I can't do it. That's not my nature. It hurts me to the core to see my friend Rick Neuheisel in town at my golf course. Yes, my golf course. And he just swings into town, plays golf. I, not a peep. Not a phone call. And then I get the whole, you know, I saw that you didn't play in the club championship. So I just figured you're out of town or something like that. Some crazy excuse. You, you of all people would be involved in any sort of competition. And you were not. I said, he must be gone. He must be out of here. I was in town for a very short time to see my dentist. 
Oh, uh, and uh, had my son along, and we were trying to work on his game. And yeah. so, uh, you, as you know, that's a beautiful place to play around a golf. And you were too busy as well, uh-huh. hanging out with dignitaries such as the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers. Yeah, okay. you can't be seen with the low, lowly <laughs> okay. personalities such as myself. Okay, okay. So it's All right. completely understandable by you. where you were, where you were, and I was where I was. All right. I don't think we accomplished any resolution of the personal issue between New Heisel and Levy, so we'll just move yonder. <laughs> One of those things in life, Rick, where we all knew it was coming at some point. We didn't know exactly when, but then it happens, and you're never quite prepared for it. Maybe you don't feel the same way. As a guy who is so entrenched, even though you're out there in New York talking about the SEC, we all know where New Heisel's loyalties What went through your mind when you, I don't know how you found out that Oregon and Washington and then the the bunch of other teams going somewhere else when it came down to four, when it was whittled down to four? Yeah, I was saddened. Uh, I've been saddened by much of what's happened in the Pac-12 since, goodness, the Larry Scott days. And that's not to put it all on Larry Scott. I thought Larry was a really smart guy and I thought he had big ideas. But for whatever the course of of action has always been kind of why did we do that? Mm-hmm. Why did we do that? Mm-hmm. As you look in the history, the chronology of this, the Pac-12 network obviously did not take off as advertised. The seven channels became cumbersome rather than an asset. Uh, it lost direct TV. You didn't have the distribution that was promised. And so you've got disgruntled presidents. They had the Pac-16 all but done. Texas, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State are coming to join our conference. And it doesn't get finished because ESPN strikes a deal with Texas to give them multiple millions for the Longhorn Network, what we all know now as the Longhorn Network, which put Texas in the same kind of stratosphere as the elite programs in the country, which, of course, they see themselves as. But it was a blow to the Pac-12. Then the decision to not go with the Comcast deal, which was going to be NBC and NBC like CBS, like Fox, like uh, ABC promotes their content over the course of the week to go instead with a combination of Fox and ESPN, which then created a bunch of late night game times. I still say it cost Christian McCaffrey a Heisman trophy. Uh, the year that Derrick Henry won, Christian McCaffrey's season was off the charts. Not that Derrick Henry wasn't worthy. It just was McCaffrey was the guy, but no one saw him play. There was no way he doesn't win that Heisman Trophy. But it was part and parcel because of this contract that had us playing you know, late night television or Pac-12 after dark. Ultimately, all these things in combination with the lack of playoff representation, two teams that participated in nine years of the college football playoff, one Oregon in year one, one Washington in year three, that's it. No one else has even been to the dance. We have been a forgotten product. And because of it, players have left the building like Elvis used to leave, right? Right. We've got uh, CJ Stroud. He's from California. He's playing for Ohio State. Bryce Young, he's from California. He's playing for Alabama. And on and on it goes. DJ Uyunglele left Los Angeles to go to Clemson. They're leaving because they wanted to be in the playoff. That was a 
a non-starter mm-hmm. for television suitors and such. Mm-hmm. And then when UCLA and USC decided they were up and leaving for the Big Ten, it became ominous because number one, the number one chore George Klyovkov had when he got the job, and I said this many times on the radio, he has to secure USC. USC is the bell cow as it pertains to football. There are shining star. That's not to say they're the best program at the current time. It's just to say they're have an iconic brand. And when their brand is on fire, go back to the Pete Carroll days. There's nothing that resonates more nationally than the USC brand, whether it be travel or the horse, whether it be, you know, all the pomp and circumstance with the celebrities on the sideline, it's la la land and it resonates to lose USC and UCLA to follow them to the Big Ten was a death knell. And everybody left was sitting there going, okay, what's in this for us as we see this moving of the tea leaves to a super two that is going to be a SEC and a Big Ten? How can I get in there? We heard you know rumors of Cal, Stanford, Oregon, Washington being in conversations with yeah. the Big Ten. Yeah. Klyovkov, we're all told now, had a deal on the table for 30 million bucks at school and he turned it down. I have to know what in his mind was there that he thought it was going to be bigger than that. But I want to stop you because you said USC and UCLA was the death knell, but was it? Because now you graduate to something else, which is even in the wake of USC and UCLA leaving. And from what I've been told, and my information may not be accurate, but what I've been told, and I believe it, that when ESPN offered the $30 million right, per team or per school for four years, and he brought that back to the presidents, the presidents balked because, they, right. because they had this $70 million number, Big Ten number in their minds, and they just couldn't get themselves to look at themselves in the mirror and say, how can those teams be getting 70 and we're getting 30? And the I big problem was they discussed it. Now, this is what I've heard. Okay. And the presidents wanted to go back to ESPN and say 50, 55, and we'll do it. And I've heard Klyovkov was like, eh, that's a big number. Are you sure you want to do that? You know, we could go back at 38, we could go back at 40, maybe keep them at the table. That's a big number. And when they went back to ESPN with 55, ESPN threw their hands up and said, we're done, no deal. And they took their money to the Big 12. And that was essentially the end of the Pac-10. So do we blame Klyovkov or do we blame the presidents? Or do we blame a combination of both? How do we do it? Well, if that scenario is accurate, then it is absolutely on the presidents. And here is the problem. Egos has always have been the case and over the history of time are at play here. The race, once the USC-UCLA Big Ten move happened and the Texas-Oklahoma move happened to the SEC, the race was over there were going to be a super two. The race then became who's number three. The conference that came to grips with the fact that the best we could do then was number three was going to be in best position. The ACC, not really a part of this because their deal was locked in through 2036, a topic for you know Florida State and all those schools who are disgruntled yes. on that side of the country. Yes, The Big 12 and Pac-12 were now in race for who's number three And by virtue of that conversation that you just shared, 
if the presidents were asking for 55, they were not ready to believe that they were number three. They were not in that mode of realization. The big 12 administrators. Yes. And I talked to Gene Taylor, who's a sure uh, the athletic director at Kansas Kansas State. State. Won the the football conference last year. Yeah. uh, There in the big 12, the championship. He said, we clearly knew we were fighting for number three. So when the deal came, that's why Brett Yormark took the deal. And he's given all the credit now for being at the trough earlier. Well, he wasn't the first to be at the trough. He was just the first to say yes. And ultimately, that was the the job of the commissioner to convince. Clearly, it was an easier job for him to convince those presidents of where they sat than it was for Klyovkov and the uh, the presidents of the Pac-12. I don't want to suggest that Klyovkov wanted to take the thirty million. No, I'm just. No, but, I, he, but, I, but he had a it, but he had a better plan for how to negotiate yeah, to get the they best. They went. Deal. They over everything I've heard is they've overplayed their hand. The Pac-12 just couldn't get out of the way, as you point out, of ego. They just couldn't put their ego at the door and allow Big Ten teams to be making 60 or 65 million a team. The the idea, the notion of 30 a year was just crazy to Pac-12 presidents, and they were not going to go for it. All of these conferences that have hired as their commissioner people from the media side of things, which... Brett Yormark is from that. Tony Petiti, the new commissioner of the Big Ten, is from the the uh, world of television. Yeah, uh, George Klyovkov has history in that side of things. They were all basically saying, "What can we get?" They were not looking for leadership. They were looking for what can we get, and we were looking for the best deal. And their idea of what the best deal was mm-hmm. uh, was not in any way, shape, or form in concert with what the market was at the time they turned down that deal. Did you feel like, and I think you and I have talked about this before, going back to last year, did you feel like that Oregon had any responsibility to protect Oregon State and the same for Washington and Washington State, or is it to each their own now and and run after the mighty dollar and don't care about your your little brother? You know, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are going through the same same thing, right? Oklahoma leaving for the SEC, Oklahoma State staying behind. I am of the mind in my Pollyanna viewpoint of this that there should be some measure of loyalty uh, in state universities. Arizona and Arizona State are saying we were together, right? Now, would that have been the case had one been offered a chance at the the Big, Big Ten, one. yeah, you probably know, probably not. not. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, but you can't help but feel badly for Oregon State, Washington State in this scenario, given what they have achieved with what we've all kind of looked down and said lesser resources yeah. Yeah. for Washington State to have been to the Rose Bowl twice in the last what twenty years. 25 years is a terrific feather in the cap of the Cougars and Oregon state to have won 10 games last year and beaten Florida in that kind of scenario with half a stadium. And now we've got this big, beautiful, beautiful stadium. You got to be feeling terrible for Oregon state because all they did was everything they could. All they did was everything they could. And they, they knocked it out of the park and Jonathan Smith should be really proud of the job that's been accomplished. As somebody who's been in the middle of scheduling before, It shouldn't be that difficult, no matter what happens to Oregon State and Washington State, to get the Civil War on the schedule each 
year and get the Apple Cup on the schedule each year because Notre Dame plays USC. I mean, there are there are plenty no. of examples. One hundred percent should be part and parcel of their future schedules. One hundred percent should okay. be. Okay. And I hope that uh, they're in agreement with that. Hey, Florida, Florida State play each other every year. Clemson, South Carolina play each other every year. Louisville, Kentucky play each other every year. Not in the same conference. It happens all the time. Yeah. Any sense, Rick, to how the Big Ten will and should structure, you mentioned, a Super 18 conference. We are now at a number, and we've talked about this on our podcast a lot. Right. We're at a number now where basically each team is only going to play half of the conference each year. It feels very arbitrary to me to then pick two teams in two huge divisions to play for the Big Ten championship when most teams aren't playing each other the entire year. It almost feels like you've got to go to a four-team playoff now. The conference is so big, a two-week, and I know that brings up all kinds of problems and scheduling and making these kids play. But do we do two divisions of nine? Do we do three divisions of six? This is bigger now than than the NFC and the AFC. The NFC and the AFC are 16 teams, and they That's each correct. and they each bring seven teams to a playoff. We we can't take <laughs> two teams from two nine-team divisions and put them in a Big Ten championship when the teams are not playing each other each year. How do we do it? I think you're on to something for the future, but in the near term, I think what's going to happen is they're going to have one constant rival, and which will be cumbersome if you imagine like Michigan how do they not play Michigan State every year and Ohio State every year it's going to be cumbersome and they've got some protected properties here but the way it breaks down for me is you're going to play eight teams plus your one yep so that's nine conference games and that will make sure you're playing everybody in conference every two years and over the course of the four-year career for a player he'll be at every venue so you're going to have one constant game and Everything else will be eight and eight. That's the 17 opponents. And and that's how you're going to play it uh, until we determine that we want more playoff spots from the Super 2, which will follow the NFL model. And that will end up probably losing a regular season game. Okay, I understand one rivalry game and eight others. But how are we deciphering who the two that play for the, the title are? The top two teams. There'll be no divisions. The top two records. And they'll have tiebreakers and and such. And uh, those two teams will end up playing. And I would imagine right now, I don't know how long their contract is with Indianapolis, but I could imagine that they'd also choose a West Coast venue uh, on an every other year or every third year type of deal where the Rose Bowl might be the site of a Big Ten championship game. You know, there's some really good football to be played this year in the Pac-12. In the oh my Pac-12. goodness! If if it has to be the last year, it, they they've got the perfect. Well, I want to ask setup. you about that. I want to ask you yeah. about that. I see five of the top 18 teams in one of the polls that I threw up on the screen before you and I came on. Five of the top 18 are in the Pac-12, and you've got this lingering implosion if it already hasn't happened. Does all of this hang over the season like a dark cloud in any counterproductive way? Or do we play the games as usual and celebrate the long and storied history of the conference as it comes to an end? What's the feel of these games with the uh, 
the upcoming dismantling of the conference? I hope the latter. I hope that uh, the business has been concluded. We'll wait and see what becomes of the remaining four schools. I still think that the play would be to invite as many Mountain West teams as you can so that they can vote away the exit fee and and create the lack of having to pay to become part of an autonomous five conference because there's no rule saying that the pack whatever can't still remain an autonomous conference and in so doing have a seat at the table when we're talking about the college football playoff which is being expanded to 12 teams two years from now so to me there's a positive opportunity here for the mountain west and the pack to merge together right. and become a pacific name the number uh, conference. And my fingers are crossed that that will be the case. But I, I think that the college football fan realizing that this change is happening has to take some measure of responsibility. Maybe we didn't go to enough games. Maybe there's not enough interest. Let's go enjoy mm-hmm. from a nostalgic standpoint, what we're going to get to watch this year. And because it should be terrific entertainment, there is a number of really good teams. Five, as you mentioned in the top 18, not included in that number is UCLA. And they've got this sensational freshman quarterback that I think could have a huge year in Dante Moore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arizona is a really good team. Jaden Delora is an outstanding player at quarterback there drew pine the quarterback who transferred from notre dame i watched him practice at asu he's got some uh, really good stuff and i like this kenny dillingham who will get to be a inaugural coach there for the sun devils there's some and and obviously we haven't even talked about Deion sanders and the <laughs> bright light that he's brought the prime time that uh-huh. he's brought to uh-huh. boulder colorado now the the over under on win totals for him in las vegas is three and a half so mm-hmm pump the brakes on how much you're going. But in terms of must-see TV, they're going to capture the market in the early portion of the season. So lots to celebrate as we, uh, unfortunately, are probably bidding adieu a conference we all knew and loved. A conference that I've been booed or fired by everybody (laughs) in. Before we end, I look at these teams, and with only four teams still making the playoffs, I'm concerned. I'm going to tell you I'm concerned because – all of a sudden, we've got a hell of a look in Pac-12 conference that you just went through. But Washington's got everybody on their schedule this year. Right? They're not ducking yeah. anybody. They're playing USC. They're playing Utah. They're playing Oregon. They're playing Oregon State. And the opposite is true. The flip is true for everybody else. For the most part, everybody's playing everybody. Nobody's avoiding anyone. I wonder how in the world they all can't beat up on each other and the Pac-12 winds up outside of the playoff table looking in again. Which has been the argument from the get-go. When we were the only conference, now others have joined, but we were the only conference at the outset that chose to play nine conference games. Uh And I kept saying, is anybody doing the math? (laughs) Do you realize that you're guaranteeing six more losses? Where do you want to spread them? Where do you want to flip them? Because if we could... If we could choose where they go, then we would have been in the playoffs many more times, but we can't. It's the bottom line. Parity is alive and well in this conference. It may not be the case in all the others, but in this one it is. And unfortunately, with no seat at the table in the college football playoff for much of its uh, its tenure now, going on year 10, yeah, uh, we've been outside looking in and it had disastrous results from a recruiting standpoint. Well, he might not call me when he comes to town and he swings through Aldera, but I will tell you this. 
He is going to be back. Thanks to uh, all the folks at Taco Time. We'll be doing some work together. That's what we do. We do some work. (laughs) And, you know, I ran into uh, a guy from the Taco Time family. You did. At a golf tournament over there at Overlake. Uh I was not participating. And I was just saying hi to some friends. Detlef Trump was over there. Yeah. So I went over to say hello. But uh, the guy comes up. He goes, I love your taco time. (laughs) And I went with every one of your picks. Uh And I made out like a bandit. Uh And I told you as I uh, (laughs) passed that along that your dad would have been just aghast that somebody was trying to go one more time. Just one more week. Did this unnamed taco time fan... Play your picks the previous year because my guess is if he did, he was nice enough to keep it to himself. Well, if he did, he would not have been a member still at Overlay Golf Club. That's the uh, excellent point. It's an excellent point. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Neuheisel, we'll talk to you in a few weeks down the line and start this thing up all over again. Thank you, Rick. Look forward to it, Mitch. Take care. Hey, look who it is. Lindsay Schwartz, Daniel's Broiler, my favorite steakhouse during the summer and any time of year. How are you, Lindsay? How's everything at Daniel's Broiler? Hey, Mitch, doing great. Yeah, it's summertime. We've been so fortunate to have such beautiful weather, have a beautiful summer, July, August. That means we get to open all the decks and patios. Busy, busy, busy. So let's keep up this great weather. What I can tell you is that when my buddy, old friend Mark Kalkavecchia comes to town the golfer for the Boeing Classic. He's not even in SeaTac Air. I think he's still on the plane when he texts me, hey, can you help me out with Daniel's broiler? Can you help me out with Daniel's broiler? It's a favorite of the golfers that come for the Boeing Classic, isn't it? It really is. A few years ago when Jerry Kelly won, he came into Daniel's to celebrate afterwards, and I was there and saw him and talked to him a little bit. And uh, yeah, I think the word is out. That's the place to go if you win the tournament. Too bad I didn't teach you a little about the game of golf while he was there. Did you meet him? Did he no tips? Oh God, that yeah, <laughs> I, that would be a full time job. He already has a job. I don't, I don't think he has time for that. Uh, all right, last time you were on, you talked desserts. I want to focus on appetizers this time around. It's a little controversial in the way that I never want to eat too much before the steak arrives, but you have such good appetizers. I'm torn on that. Yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, we we try to keep them light. So we make that decision easy for you. We don't want to fill you up on the appetizers, but we just try to make them delicious. And I think we've done that. I know that I know you've talked about the scallops, how you love that one. The scallops. Yeah. The bacon wrapped scallops. Yes. They're so good. I think it's something unique that we do. We, we pick the big jumbo scallops. We wrap them in bacon. We put them on the broiler. It's just a really unique flavor. You get the Sambuca butter sauce, serve it on top of crostini. You got good taste. Those are really, really good. How about some of the other appetizers? I know from experience, the popcorn shrimp has gone from a a Levy boys favorite as their main course to now they just get a couple of orders before their steaks as they eat me out of house and home. What about some of the other appetizers? Yeah, I mean, the popcorn shrimp are awesome. I think really what makes them is the sauce. It comes with two sauces, the sriracha aioli, which is spicy and delicious, and the lemon aioli is really, really good. And yeah, I've told you before, my kids love that too. Even even now they're grown up, they still got to have it. And your favorite is the crab leg? Yeah, I like the crab legs. I mean, the cool thing about it is if you love crab like I do, but you don't like to have to work for it and crack the crab and wear a bib, they're already shelled. We, we take the, the crab legs out of the shell, the big fry leg, which 
which is the biggest leg on a crab. Right. And uh, we serve that in a Dijon mustard sauce. Yeah, that's been my favorite. I love that so one. So I guess the uh, the moral to the story is, even if you're not in the mood for a big giant steak, you can go to Daniel's, have a drink, and feast on the appetizers and enjoy some of the great views of the Pacific Northwest. We love Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. to Thompson, tries to bounce outside, oh, and he's in. Look at the block! You got Touchdown! The block. That's my guy! Sir Thompson Jr. Greer firing, intercepted at the goal line! Trey Brown bringing it out for Seattle! Another Seahawks preseason game, another Seahawks win! Ladies and gentlemen, more standout performances, both good and bad. And that's why we call upon ESPN Seahawks insider Brady Henderson not to just trumpet all the great players from Saturday night, but to shine the light on some of the guys that got to get their acts together after Saturday night. Here he is, Brady Henderson. How are you, Brady? I'm doing great. How are you, Mitch? I'm very good. We started last week. Let's start this week the same way. Three things Brady Henderson learned or observed on Saturday night in an eight-point win over the Dallas Cowboys? The first thing, Mitch, is that that cornerback situation, uh, we, we already know what the, the you know, we, the only thing we know is that Tariq Woolen is going to be starting on the right side. But beyond that, it is still so wide open, and that game, I think, just reinforced that. So what we really learned is that we didn't learn anything. Trey Brown started the game, had, I think, a mostly good game. Now, I, I do wonder if he was the guilty party on one of those red zone touchdowns that they allowed. He was, you know, patting his helmet yes, in he frustration was. as, as yeah. if to say that he screwed up there. But he had the nice open field tackle. Of course, he had the nice interception late, and he played a lot in that game. So uh, they got a really long look at him. Mike Jackson, not so much, gave up three catches uh, early in that game while starting uh, and was also, of course, flagged for defensive pass interference that got negated. Uh, Gated. So, look, I, I know you were probably a little skeptical of everything you've been hearing uh, from me and other writers out of practice about how good Mike Jackson's been. I'm telling you, I've seen him every day in practice. I can promise you that he looked he has looked a lot better on. than he did. Hold on. Let, let, let's be clear about Mitch Levy's skepticism and put it in proper context. I'm skeptical about everything I hear about training camp. This is not just about Michael Jackson. And it doesn't matter whether it's Brady Bob, Claire Farnsworth. It doesn't matter who it comes from. I am just generally skeptical about hearing that this guy is great. This guy looks great. This guy looks like a new man. And boy, Mike Jackson looked far from great. And it's hard for Seahawks fans who are not at training camp like you to wonder aloud, where is Devin Witherspoon? Can we please see the number five overall pick play the position that he was supposed to play when they drafted him, Brady? Please. I'm begging. I still think he could end up being the starter in week one there. Now, he's he's still sidelined with the hamstring injury. He's been out for over a week, and this is the second time he's hurt that same hamstring. Also was slowed uh, early in the spring with that. Um, so he has missed you know a good chunk of time now between those two uh, injuries plus the two-day holdout, which was a pretty brief thing. But 
that said, there is still three weeks from the time of, of recording from yes. Sunday. Uh, there is three weeks to go before the season starts. Now, I do think that it is it already was going to be a whole lot to ask of him to do both, right? To start on the left side in base, then move inside uh, in nickel situations like we talked about. That's already asking a lot. I think it's asking too much at this point, given all the time he's missed. Um, especially, you know, and I was talking to a Seahawks player who was out at practice the other day who made a good point. Guess who they're playing in week one? I know who they're playing in week one. And and guess who yes. is the slot receiver? For a guy who's going to catch 500 balls if he doesn't get hurt in the slot. Yeah. Yes. It's Cooper Cup, probably yeah. the <laughs> NFL's best slot receiver. So right. if you're throwing Devin Witherspoon in at nickel in week one, uh-huh. uh, that is already a tough matchup. I, th- I think it's and maybe he does it later in the season where he eventually, you know, finds his footing and he does do both. But I think right now you're talking about one or the other. And I would guess that. Uh, well, actually, I'm not going to guess because I don't know which one <laughs> in this in the scenario, though, that he doesn't play in preseason game three, the final preseason game. There's not a fourth one. Then there's those insufferable two weeks between the final preseason game and the opening of the season. Is it possible, really? Can you close your eyes and visualize him not playing one preseason snap and then in week one being introduced to the crowd as a member of the starting defense for the Seattle? How is that possible? Yeah, th- that would be asking a lot. And I'm, and I'm sort of racking my brain to try to remember if he played in the mock game, which I think he did. So, the, you know, they sort of consider that a, a preseason a part, game, kind of a preseason game. Okay. But to your point, no, it is a good one that... That's a that's a lot of time to miss to be starting in week one, and I don't think he's going to play in this third preseason game. I think the just to put a bow on that, the word from Pete Carroll was that the hope is that he starts to get back into some walkthrough stuff later this week, and then um, Mm. and then maybe get back to practice the following week. Item number two that Brady Henderson, ESPN.com Seahawks insider, learned on Saturday night in preseason game number two is that that outside linebacker rotation is really going to be deep. And and I think the key word there is rotation because it's easy to think of it as, and I have done this too, as, well, you've got your starters uh, and then you've got the the backup guys. I, I think that's true at one side. That's true with Yuchenna Nwoso. He is the starter there. He is going to play you know well over 75% of the snaps. He's going to be sort of like Michael Bennett. Uh, really, I guess Cliff Averill would be the better comparison. Like He's the starter there. He's going to play a lot. But beyond that, on that other side, it's, it's really whoever starts the game opposite him is really only going to be nominally a starter because I think they're going to rotate those guys equally. And, and it's primarily going to be Boye Mafe, who was excellent in that preseason game against Dallas, uh, Daryl Taylor. And then I think to a lesser extent, um, Tyreek Smith and Derek, and, Hall. and Derek Hall, of course, their second round pick. So mm-hmm. um, I do think you're going to see a, basically Boye Mafe, Daryl Taylor kind of share starting duties opposite Nwosu. Daryl Taylor, of course, had a really good season rushing the passer last year with nine and a half. Well, sacks, he had a good second half of the season. He had a good rushing, second half. Yeah. yeah. And, First and, half, you know, they were, we were wondering every week on the Seahawks note table, where the hell is Daryl Taylor? Why is he not contributing? It was it was basically the last eight or ten games yeah, of the seventeen yeah. games season. And, and, yeah, and yeah. the run defense was problematic early on yeah. when he was in that you know early down role. So I I do wonder if they would favor Mafe more in early down situations and then bring in Taylor as more of a specialized pass rusher. I've got to see him defend the run better than he did last year before I can envision him actually playing a lot on early downs. All right, I'll come back to. The other part of the defensive line, because you just talked about edge 
and I'm concerned with something that's going on in between the edges. Uh, but you have item number three that you learned on Saturday night in the win over the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit here. Okay. And item number three is uh, what I learned is that Jordan Brooks, I actually think he's got a decent chance of being ready by week one. Now, really? I would not have said that. Yeah, I would, I would not have said that certainly, uh, you know, seven and a half months ago when he tore his ACL on January 1st. We all know the typical timetable for that injury is, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's about nine months. That's when you start talking about, OK, maybe a guy could get back in nine months. Uh, it was, I think, seven uh, It's seven months and about three weeks ago. That he that you know based on the time of recording now he got back to practice uh, last week or really he was activated off pup last week which allowed him to practice he had not practiced yet but he was taking part in the walkthroughs which is Crazy. a big deal for the mental reps and everything and the word from Pete Carroll is that they hope to start incorporating him into some team stuff uh, here pretty soon and so again three weeks from the time of this recording to the opener if he's if he's doing you know team stuff in practice meaning the eleven yeah. on eleven. 11, seven on seven, that kind of stuff, uh, then you start to think that maybe he's got a chance. Now, Jamal Adams is, I think, behind him. I don't think that's going to happen week one. But Jordan Brooks, I think, well, it is, I think it does seem realistic. A couple of things. First of all, on Brooks, I think a lot of us, like me, have been operating under the assumption that he was going to be on the PUP list to start the year, that we wouldn't see him till what would that mean, seven Game seven of the season or the PUP? The PUP list is four. four. They've got the buy in there. Okay. So I think you'd be okay. talking about uh, weeks. So just the whole six. notion that maybe he could be he could be inactive for week one and be on the 53 and then be active for number two. If you had to guess right now, does Jamal Adams start the season on the PUP list? Is he close enough to go week to week? To start the season, what do you think the answer to that is? Well, there's there's door what number the, three. What does the Brady Henderson end? Oh, there's a door number three. There's a door number three there because I think you could technically put him on IR, um, have him make the roster after cutdowns, then right. put him on IR, and I think that would be a three week absence. Okay. So there is that. So what's going to happen? Well. What's your guess? Ugh, I mean, it's so hard to say right now because I haven't even seen him yeah, yeah. be activated off yeah. PUP right now. So yeah. I, it's it's yeah. But I mean, I but I don't think he's going to be ready by week okay. one. Let's go back. So item number two were the edge rushers. You said on one side, it's pretty defined. On the other side, it's going to be a bunch of guys. Of course, the cynical Mitch Levy will say, what's the old axiom when I hear about a team with two quarterbacks? A team you got that, no quarterbacks. You got so when I hear you say there'll be a bunch of guys on the other side, even though Mafe has been great in the first two preseason games, my inclination, because it's the way I'm wired to say, is that means that they've got nobody as opposed to a bunch of guys. But I'll, I'll take you at your word on that, and let's move on the interior. I tweeted last night, should say Saturday night, that I was watching very closely number 55. To me, now obviously the quarterback's more important. There are some guys that are vitally important. I don't think there are three guys on the team that are more important than number 55 on the defense. They went out and they spent a lot of money on him. They were deficient inside the edges. We saw saw what happened defensively. They got shredded last year. He's got to come in and be, if not a pro bowler, a real demonstrative, productive player. Now, it was one series on Saturday night, so I'm not going to rule him out just yet. I saw nothing. I watched him closely on every play of that first series. I saw very little from him 
Are we excited about him? Is everybody over there still excited that he's going to bring to the table what they paid for? Yes. Yeah, I, I think there's still excitement, but I do think that with any free agent, there is inherently a risk. I mean, by definition, that is a player that their previous team did not deem them to be absolutely necessary like a must guy that you have to resign. And, and, you know, sometimes there's, you know, contract disputes that get in the way, there's scheme fits that get in the way, there's just personal differences, whatever it, it may be. It, it may not always have to do with play, but they didn't deem him to be a guy that they absolutely had to resign. And what did they do in free agency? They went out and signed Zach Allen uh, to be his replacement. It was the defensive end from Arizona, who, by the way, Seattle was also talking to on that first day of the negotiating window, which just illustrates to your point how badly they felt like they needed to beef up that position. You know, they were, they were talking to more than one guy there. Um, And so, yeah, and Zach Allen got a whole lot of money. So that was, you know, they were willing to, to really go against their MO and free agency, which is they've never really been a break the bank type team in terms of signing other players, free agents. I'll give you the numbers again, because it's worth reiterating before that Draymond Jones deal, the, the highest annual, Average in terms of contracts they've given out under Carolyn Schneider to another team's free agent was actually last year with Uchenna Nuoso, a little over $9 million. Draymond Jones is making 17 point something million. Double the biggest ever. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. And so, what do we need um, from him? We need sacks. We need penetration. We need great stout play against the run game well, we need a lot from 55 he can't be he can't be a flop i mean if this year look i don't know whether devin with a spoon's going to be a flop or not but if we're 16 18 20 weeks from now talking how Devin Witherspoon was not what they bargained for at number five and they didn't get from draymond jones what they paid for there's no way there's no way this team can can do anything special let's say in the postseason, they they got to get something from fifty five. They do, they do, and it and it's got to. He can't be a one truck pony. It's got to be against Both. the run and yeah. the pass. They yeah. they haven't really had that interior, you know, guy who can wreak havoc against the run and the pass since Michael Bennett. We all know how badly they they missed it uh, last season, mm-hmm. especially. And so, yeah, they need him okay. to stay healthy. You know, he's he's missed ten games in four seasons. So that I think the health is another thing that you got to kind of keep an eye on. But um, there is a ton of talent there. And, uh, boy, they are really banking on him to be a difference maker. All right, Brady Henderson, ESPN.com, Seahawks Insider. A couple things before I let you run and get ready for preseason game and final preseason game, number three against the Green Bay Packers. Uh, Since they only play three, this is our last chance. I'd like to see Kenneth Walker. I'd like to see Devin Witherspoon. You just talked about it. I'd like to see Bobby Wagner for a series or two. I'd like to see Diggs. I'd like to see Woolen. I'd like to see Taylor. Um, is it important that those guys play in the preseason before we get to the regular year? At least a series. Put their helmets on and go get in the game or not. Is it important? Um I, I don't think so. No. Well, I just, well, I each guy is so. different, obviously. Witherspoon yeah. is important. Witherspoon it is. More important than Witherspoon than Wagner. Wagner doesn't – we don't need to see Wagner, right? I don't know about Woolen, how you feel about a second-year guy. Daryl Taylor, up and down last year. Got to get his legs. Started slow a year ago. We just talked about that. So we need momentum from him getting into the season. I don't know. Maybe each guy is different. Kenneth Walker is a running back. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, with with Taylor, I think ideally you would like to see him. You get some actual tape of him trying to stop the run to see – if he is a legitimate candidate to be that early down guy, like we talked about with Kenneth Walker, I, I, I do think there's a chance that he plays just because he has been doing some team stuff. I don't know if he necessarily needs to, but yeah, the the guy that you would point to that says 
who, guy who hasn't played yet in the preseason who really needs to is Devin Witherspoon, okay. and I just yeah. don't think that's going to happen. It might be interesting to our listeners if we took a look back to the draft class of the 2023 Seattle Seahawks and go one by one and get a little snapshot. Doesn't have to be long. Doesn't have to be long-winded, Brady. Just a little something-something on each guy in their training camp. I don't know. We won't do grades because I think it's premature to do grades, but how they're doing. We'll skip by number five overall, Devin Witherspoon, as we talked about him. I don't think much needs to be said for number 20 overall, Jackson Smith and Jigba, right? He had... The big catch, I thought that was as good a throw as it was a catch. It was a great throw. Great throw, great throw by Drew Locke. What do you want to say about Njigba? Would you say 60 catches? Would you say 70 catches in the slot? Is he just going to be extraordinary, you think? Uh, I, would, I would look at what Tyler Lockett did as a rookie. I think it was something like 50, 60 catches, about 650 yards yeah. or something like that, five touchdowns. I'm just ballpark off memory. I think that would be a good sort of baseline for him just because, it's look, it's going to be hard for him to put up the Garrett Wilson-type numbers that make him you know, the offensive rookie of the year, even though two other guys. third should have won it. Yeah, uh, yeah because guys. he's playing behind DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, and he's playing in an offense that you know wants to run the ball but I think look at what Tyler Lockett did as a rookie in 2015 and that could be a good sort of benchmark for Jackson Smith and Jigba so after going cornerback and wide receiver and not addressing the defensive line or the edge rushers in the first round the Seahawks then in uh in round 237 all went with this Derek Hall you just talked about from Auburn are we excited about what we've seen from him can he contribute do you think he'll be a spark he'll make plays yes i do is he gonna be you know a, a seven eight sack guy no i don't think so I think that's really hard for rookies who aren't drafted in the you know first half of the first round i actually studied this a few years ago and went back 10 years or so you know seven sacks is i use that as the benchmark because i think that's what or maybe it was eight sacks because that's what bruce Irvin got in 2012 but when you're not talking about a, a top 15 pick it's really hard for those guys to come in and, and have that type of production as rookies. So, you know, can he get you three, four sacks? Can he, does he look you know, like a good pick at that position of the draft? Sure. He does yeah. to your eye. Yeah. He does. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. He looks explosive. Okay. He looks, okay. he looks fast and strong and big and he's, you know, he has wrecked some tackles, not the number one guys, but in practice, he's had some really impressive pass rush reps. And there's no question who the most controversial pick of the, Seahawks draft was, and that was the 52nd overall pick, round two. They went running back. Zach Charbonnet, he played a lot on Saturday night. We saw a long run or two from him. A lot of us are still wondering, should they have gone and beefed up the defensive line somehow, some way? The early indications are he's going to be really good, especially if, if Kenneth Walker gets hurt. Yep, and that, that was a huge part of, of the calculus there is knowing that they want to be a run-heavy team. They've had playoff runs derailed by injuries to their running backs. It, it, you know, it really hurt them last year when Ken Walker III went down, so they didn't draft Zach Charbonnet to be like a co-number one, I don't think, but he is going to be a pretty heavily used number two, and I'm not just saying this because I know my audience here. Again, I do think he's going to be involved in the passing game just because we see he's got great hands. We see them drill screen plays in practice more often, not just running back screens, but wide receiver, tight end screens. So it does seem like uh, at long last, 
the screen game will be a bigger part of their offense. And I think Charbonnet is going to be a really okay. big part of that. So let's jump all the way down and I'll come back up to 237 overall, their last pick. Since you're talking about Charbonnet, you're talking about the running backs. There were people who thought Kenny McIntosh was a find way, way, way deep out of Georgia in, in the seventh round. He's been nicked up. He hasn't played. Are we sure that he's going to make the team? Do we think that Kenny, Kenny McIntosh will be on the active roster or practice squad or not? Either of the above, A or B. Yes. Yeah, so he he hurt his knee, uh, sprained his knee in the Mott game a few weeks ago, and the word from Pete Carroll was that he's probably going to be out uh, a few weeks. So it didn't seem at the time like there was any danger of him missing the start of Week One, as long as he doesn't have a setback or anything. I think he's he's a safe bet to make it. But what would um, his role with DJ Dallas and the rest of those guys be in Week One? Would they even activate him? Is he good enough on special teams? I mean, you you're going to have DJ Dallas, you're going to have Charbonnet, you're going to have Walker. Do you need the fourth? ball carrier of the of yeah then that, that is that is a tough one because it you know they kept four running backs active last year and i think maybe even the year before too because enough of those you know two three and the, the second third and fourth guys dj dallas travis homer uh played special teams and i just don't haven't seen enough of uh mcintosh on special teams yet because he's been hurt for a few weeks so that would be sort of the defi- deciding factor there is how much can you get of him on special teams if you can put him on a few teams yeah uh units then you know he can be active but if not he's probably a, a game day inactive okay. i want to skip- but he's making the team either way he's making the team either way from yeah. number seven number 237 overall we've talked enough about olu olu Atimi. Uh, he's not going to win the opening day center job, it appears. That's going to be Evan Browns, but he's going to be the backup center and maybe ultimately the starter someday, especially if somebody gets hurt a guard, you could move Brown over from the guard. Really, the guys that I want to now talk about, I'm interested in because I haven't heard a lot of them about him. I haven't seen much of them. I'm wondering how many of these guys are going to make the team, going to make any kind of an impression. And I'm talking about Anthony Bradford, who was drafted in the fourth round, a guard out of LSU, who some of us even wondered aloud whether he would challenge Phil Haynes for the right guard position on this team. I want to talk about Cam Young, who finally was the first defensive tackle out of Mississippi State that they drafted in the draft. We know about their deficiency there. What does he bring to the table? Mike Morris out of Michigan, kind of an edge guy. I've seen a little Jarek Reed, 32 from New Mexico, a safety who's running around, maybe a good special teams player. Take on those guys, the middle, the core, the belly of the Seahawks trap, because really those guys are going to determine whether this is an A draft or a C draft or you know, they got to get something from some of those guys. Yeah. OK, we'll start with Anthony Bradford. He's going to make the team. And the word from Pete Carroll when they drafted him was that he was going to push Phil Haynes for that starting job yeah, uh, at guard. That's, what I that, said. that's yeah. not happening. No. Yeah. He's you know, not good the, enough. The, yeah. Well, I think what part of it is that he got in a fender bender and bonked his head and he missed some he time because of that yeah. in the spring. And so, uh, but he's been back for a while now. And, you know, I, I think he's doing okay, just not well enough to unseat a guy who was basically a starter last year. Okay. So Bradford's going to make the team not going to be a starter right away. Cameron Young. Uh, Cameron Young, yeah, the fourth round pick. Uh, that's an interesting one because they were talking about him being their starting nose tackle when they drafted him. Now, he has missed some time with a calf injury. He hasn't played, I think, in the preseason yet. Yeah, he's, he's been out a few weeks now. It doesn't seem like it's one of those injuries that's going to keep him out past week one, but it seems like they have pretty much moved on from the idea of him starting at nose tackle. Going to make the team? You know, 
Yeah, I think he'll make the team. Yeah, a fourth round pick. He should make the team. But remember, they had Jaron Reed was going to play defensive end opposite Draymond Jones. And then they signed Mario Edwards to play defensive. And I do think that was part of moving Reed inside was that they finally got Mario Edwards, who they'd had their eye on for a while. But at any rate, the sort of ship of, uh, you know, Cameron so, Young starting a nose tackle to begin the year. That so you sailed. said what you said is the same thing about Bradford and Young. Both will make the team. You're not sure that either one of them is going to make much of an impression on the team. Mike Morris, you going to say the same thing about Morris, make the team, but probably won't be a factor during the season? Or is he not? Uh, are they going to literally not cut one draft choice? Is Jarek Reed going to make the team? Jarek Reed is the guy I'd be really worried about. I think Mike Morris. Yeah, I, I wouldn't write Mike Morris into your uh, roster projections in ink. I would do it in pencil. But I, I, if I'm doing one today, I would put him on there. He has missed a week or so with a shoulder injury. It sounds like he's, you know, on the mend and he's going to be back soon. Uh, but he is sort of the, the backup at you know those interior defensive line spots. It does. It has looked at times like he can give them a few snaps. Not ready to say he's going to be like a big difference maker yet, though. Okay. And then Jarek Reed is really the guy that, like I said, that I would be worried about just because I just haven't seen enough plays from him to think that he's a lock to make the team. I mean, when you're talking about a six-round pick, those guys aren't typically locks anyways. And so I just haven't seen enough. And the other side of that is that Jonathan Sutherland, the undrafted rookie from Penn State, uh, has looked really good. And he's even been working with their number one defense, albeit in dime, albeit with a bunch of other defensive backs out. Mm -hmm. But even going back to the spring, he was getting reps uh, with the number one defense, and he's made plays. Uh, unlike Jarek Reed, he had a nice tackle uh, in the preseason game, and you're just seeing him. It's it's clear who they trust more right now, so, which is Jonathan Sutherland. So let Mitch Levy be Mitch Levy and say, I'm hearing a world where in 2023, the Seahawks get very limited impact from their rookie class there is a world now i don't know about witherspoon he's on the fence for me we all think okay and jigba's going to be great if he stays healthy but there's a world where Derek hall anthony bradford cameron young mike morris oluolu atimi Jarek reed kenny mcintosh every one of them there's a world where they might be on the roster but they're making zero impact on the 2023 Seattle Seahawks. Is that overly negative? Is that unfair? I or? think what it is is you getting spoiled by uh, everything that they got from last year's draft class. Huh, I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm asking about this year's draft class. I, I think if you get uh, you know 700 yards and six touchdowns from Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, if you get a few interceptions and you get you know 16, 15, 16, 17 starts from Devin Witherspoon. Uh, and you get you know 500 rushing yards from Zach Charbonnet. You get you know three four sacks and a ton of snaps from Derek Hall. I think that's that's typically what you okay. look for okay. in, in a draft class. A lot know? of ifs. And, and maybe I heard a lot of ifs in there. If you gets, I heard a lot of if you gets in there. Yeah, and and look when they have as much early round draft capital as the Seahawks did this year, then I yeah. agree with you. The standard should be elevated, but. Um, I think everything I just mentioned there is entirely within reason. And if okay. that happens, then that's that's a solid. It's I, not I last agree. year. I would agree. It's not last year, but it's pretty solid. No, no, no. I would agree that if all the ifs that you just said happen, I would be as a Seahawks fan. I, I don't know that I would say delighted. I don't know that I'd be having a party, but I would say that's an adequate set of performances from a class. If everything that Brady Henderson just said, but there were a lot of ifs in there. And, you know, Derek Hall, for example, could be not as good and sitting 
by midseason. Or, yeah, I, I, there's just a lot of ifs in there. I don't see a lot of splash outside of Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. I don't see a lot of Charbonnet would be the obvious next best one that I've seen so far in both camp and in the preseason. But there's a lot of guys in there that I'm wondering aloud, you know, how much of an impact will they ever make on the Seattle Seahawks? So we'll have to wait and see. Let negative Nellies be negative Nellies. And uh, we'll move along to the uh, fact. Are you going to Appleton, Wisconsin? Are you staying in Appleton, Wisconsin in Green Bay? Or are you not going? When I do doing? stay, when I do go to Green Bay for Seahawks games, I do stay in Appleton. But There's you're a not lovely going. Fairfield in there. But no, no, the ESPN doesn't send us to the preseason. No preseason games. games. Not the end of the world. No, you'll stay home and play golf. Ladies and gentlemen, Brady Henderson, ESPN.com. And follow him on Twitter, please. He's terrific. And we'll have him here all year long. With a new member, a new sidekick. We'll tell you all about that as we get closer on the Seahawks No Table. Thank you, Brady. Thanks for being with us. You got it. Thanks, Mitch. Hey, let's check in with the president of Zeke's Pizza, Mr. Dan Black. Hiya, Dan. How's everything going over there? Doing good, Mitch. How are the eastern spots, the two spots that are furthest away from headquarters, Spokane and Boise, doing? Yeah, you know, it's been interesting. We didn't quite know how difficult that was going to be and how much the brand would be known and stuff. And it's been great. The new location on the outskirts of Boise and Eagle is just going crazy. And we were happy that, you know, there's a lot of people that knew about Zeke's down there and you know, there's a lot of people that don't still, and, and we're working on that, but the location's been busy. It's got a great patio. So as summer kicks in there, it's getting even more amped up. Same thing in Spokane. They have a great patio. It got really popular for Gonzaga basketball games mm-hmm. in particular and your favorite basketball <laughs> coach on earth. Um, but you yeah, know, so no, we're, we've been, we've been really happy with the two locations that are, you know, really outside of our core. So, so far so good. I need a summertime beer selection. I understand you've got two new collaborations in your vast library at Zeke's. Yeah, no, we've got two awesome ones this summer and, you know, we've talked about, you know, what we call collabs a lot, which is just a fancy term for saying that we have relationships with most of the great breweries in the Northwest and they often brew beers that are exclusive to us. And we call those collabs. And so when we say collab, it just means that it's a beer that really you can only get at Zeke's and a brewery. One's already going. It's called the Reach Pilsner, and it's got a good backstory. I think I've mentioned that Tom and Doug founded Zeke's because they didn't like working for Arthur Anderson and writing code. And of course, they knew that the internet and computers would never be big anyway, so they started <laughs> started a pizza company. But you know, part of the reason they started their own business so they could windsurf at the gorge. And the Reach actually refers to a stretch of the Columbia where they windsurf. And our partner on that is a brewery called ferment the head brewer down there is really great at pilsners and we like pilsners because they're easy drinking they're low alcohol even you could handle a couple of those and so uh so the reach pilsners going right now it's an easy drinking summer beer and then we're doing a re-rack of the one we did with fremont brewing last summer so in july we'll have another version of the z side ipa which will definitely be too aggressive for you mitch so stay away from that one (laughs) so yeah we got the pilsner going right now the reach pilsner and then we got z side coming up in july and they're both really good it's quite a selection of beer at zeke's pizza you know zeke's pizza for for their great northwest style crust and pizza but boy what a beer selection that continues to grow and grow we love zeke's pizza an incredible partner of mitch unfiltered homegrown in the northwest 
The Orioles split a two-gamer with the Rays in June. They had lost their last 15 series here at Tropicana Field. You have to go back to when our now colleague Brad Brock picked up the win. He spent the recent past trolling us Mariners fans with his King Felix nonsense. But my Not love, my nonsense. But my That's love, but my love for NFL insider JLC Jason Lockenfor is undying. So I welcome back to Mitch Unfiltered. Why do you do this? Why do you? Why do you tease us like? Why do I return tease? fire? Because it's fun. I didn't create this whole bogus <laughs> thing. Your your buddy did. Uh, um, not my buddy. I don't know who you're talking about. Just because. <laughs> yeah, you know exactly who I'm talking about. <laughs> who went out of his way to try to create some I don't know moment for himself by ambushing a reserved young man who barely speaks the English language, who clearly had no clue what the hell he was talking about, and nor did really anybody else, because he seems to be the only person obsessed about this whatever one one tweet that some 22-year-old kid probably sent out about King Felix that nobody ever noticed except for uh, Seattle's finest. So... Yeah, and then it just so coincides that you're 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 honoring your 169 game winner or whatever it was that weekend, and the the new King Felix as you guys called him. I mean, nobody here called him that, but if that's what you guys want to call him, I'll go with it, and and shoves it down your ass. Yeah, that's that's tough. That's a tough weekend for Starbucks Nation. I really, I'm I'm crying all over for you guys. Why, why, you know, why does what one person does lead to this? Why well, I mostly ignored it, and but I mean, th- just the confluence of events, you know, was just mwah, it was such a karma fu that I had to I had to chime in. I had to be among those who just you know. What do you mean you sent a little something something to preserve the moment? You texted me to put my timestamp on it. I never had any problem. You texted me on my phone about King Felix. I'll. King Felix won't get a save the night before, so we can do this I didn't on Friday. I said that out of the blue. That was in response. You reached out to me. Let's yeah. put it in proper context. Right. You reached out to me about coming on. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then, yeah, yeah I got a little shot in there. <laughs> well, I didn't even bring up King Felix. But it's Felix. not like you're, you're, you're presenting it like in the middle of the series. I was like, I was like, you know, rage tweeting you or pressing your buttons. <laughs> oh, I sent a couple of tweets. That was it. <laughs> I'm, 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 I've mellowed out. Uh, I'm, if this God. would have happened 10 years ago, forget about it. Oh, There'd have been God. exponentially more tweets. Oh, God. But come on. If, if you could step outside of your fandom, you would see this as a, you know, what? why would you ever create a tempest in a teapot over this? Like, what the hell were you talking about in the first place? Why would you do it on a national stage like that? And then, yeah, I guess you got what was coming to you. But you're talking about one person. Well, but it kind of became a thing. Did it become a thing? It became a thing. It became a thing to the point where I was like, we're going to ignore it, we're going to ignore it, we're going to ignore it. But, you know, when you do it at an all-star game, you know, it's, I think it's a little, it's, it's, it's a little different. Oh, but that I... clip was pathetic, pathetic. So, yeah, I smacked him around. Were you guys calling him King Felix or not? No, nobody's ever called him King Felix. No one has ever referred to him in Baltimore as King Felix outside of this one tweet that one person apparently saw at some moment in time and then waited and <laughs> waited to pounce at an all-star game. I thought the Baltimore Orioles called him King Felix. No, no the organization. No, this is suppo- supposedly it was 
was in one tweet. No one here even knows what the tweet was or saw it. It made no ripples. It made no sound. No one here ever, 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 ever thought of him in those terms like it never came up. Outside of, again, this one social media post that I guess was on the Orioles official thing. I let it go all the way. Until what? Until the mealy mouth crap coming out of your pregame or postgame. That was just like, that was a bridge too far. What about the Kevin Brown thing? Is that laid to rest now? Anybody talking about that? Is I there, would certainly think so. I would certainly think is so. Is there residue to that whole thing? I mean, they're on a 10-game road trip. You know, I, I have a hard time thinking when Toronto's here next Tuesday. You know what I mean? That people are going to be chanting free Kevin Brown still. That seems incongruous to me. But you never know, I guess. But none of that. I, I, don't, I don't believe for a moment whatever happened there, I don't think we know. The the version of this story that everybody quickly co-signed on and everybody quickly got confirmed, I, I don't believe for a second. It really? doesn't make any sense. You think there's more? No, it doesn't make any sense to anybody. So there's got. I don't know if there's story. more to it or not, but that ain't it. There's no way. Really? There's no way. I know all these parties involved. There is no way that happened. It's just, there, there's no way. Well, then you're saying there's more to the story. Or maybe he was just on vacation and people botched the messaging. I have no oh, idea, but, but that, that didn't happen. Oh, no, wait a second. Hold on a second. If he were on vacation instead of being suspended, he would have said, I was on vacation. I don't know. What is anybody talking about? I wasn't suspended by the team. Why, 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 would, why would that so have, as well, but is that, that any crazier out? than this? On its face, it just feels like there's more to the story, but I can't believe there's nothing to the story, and he was just on vacation. That doesn't make it. That There's no well, way that I think he was definitely be. on vacation for part of it. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, You're saying, beyond that, or whether there was some element to it, or I am not buying the version of events that was quickly parroted to all these people. There's just no way. Anyone in Baltimore talking about the Michael Ower story, the blindside drama? Yeah, a lot of people are talking about it, but I, that's a, that's another one where, much like Kevin Brown, I just don't think we know. You know what I mean? Like, me personally, I have no idea what happened here. You know? You've got two versions of events, which they can't both be true. Now, are they both false? Is one more true than the other? Like, is one more grounded in truth than the other? I, have, I don't know. I don't know how many people on the planet do know. Certainly, that hasn't stopped a lot of people from having opinions on it. The part of the story that most interests me and the one ball that I am following here is the Michael Lewis ball. Because he, I think, would be one of the people who would know. And he has a pristine reputation as a reporter, journalist, writer for very good reason. But he also has, with this particular subject, you know, unlike Billy Bean or Unlike, you know, the guys on Wall Street he's written about, he's got a personal relationship with one of the central parties in this whole story. So, you know, and then uh, now some interviews have come to light with him saying things about Michael Orr years ago that were kind of like, why would he say that? So I don't know. But the thing as a journalist that most interests me is the Michael Lewis part in all this, because if he got this story wrong – that's a pretty big wrong. If he's framed this in a way that isn't based in fact because he's more inclined to believe everything that comes out of his buddy's mouth versus what came out of a 16, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old kid's mouth, that's probably a problem for him. But I don't know. I don't, I don't know where it's going. I don't know exactly what happened here. And again, it's not something we're talking about a lot on our show because I don't know what I have to add to that dialogue other than I'm not sure what happened here. 
and I'm Googling Michael Lewis. I'm going on Twitter and putting in Michael Lewis every day to see what else he said about it or, or whatever. I know he did an interview with the Washington Post the other day, but that's really the extent of it for me. I, I hope what, what he's alleging isn't true because that would be really, really heinous, but I don't know. So one more preseason game to go in the National Football League, my friend, Jason Lock and Fora. Give me two or three teams that have caught your eye that we should be watching oh, for. No? Because of what they've done in the preseason? No, no, just because of they're in a good place. You like uh, you like what they're doing there, whether in the offseason, whether they're done in the preseason. Okay. I'm, I think I'm higher on the Pittsburgh Steelers than a lot of other people. Okay. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers could win that division, as difficult as that division is. Is their quarterback good uh, enough? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. And I don't think he has to be great, given what's around him. Okay. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things you can nitpick about his season last year. Yes, the yards per attempt, not great. Overall touchdowns, not great. We can go inside the box score. You, you know, you can pick him to death, and I get it. But watching him in the second half of these games, watching him manage games, and watching him cut down on turnovers, which was the – I mean, that was far and away the, the one thing he had to do. And he did it. And he did it on the fly. And he did it against some, some pretty good teams. And he did it on the road. So, yeah. a full. And remember, last year he wasn't even really getting all the reps because they still had, you know, this three-headed – you know, they still had people like Mason Rudolph hanging around stealing snaps. Um, and you had, you know, Trubisky in redemption tour possibly. So – as much as I'm not sure Matt Canada is his forever coordinator, uh, yes, I, I think he'll be good enough with that defense, with an upgraded offensive line. So I, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's more teams I hate than I like. Who do you uh, hate? I hate the New York Jets. Just, this is a disaster waiting to happen. Really? I can't believe you can get plus money on the Jets to miss the playoffs. I'm going to repeat that for you. Last I looked, it was plus 125 on the Jets to do what they always do, <laughs> which is Woody Johnson's birthright, which is F it up and not be in the So post. they're a favorite to make the playoffs. Yes. Five days ago, last I looked. Out of that division with Buffalo and Miami, they mm-hmm. are a favorite to make the playoffs. You get plus money on them. That is amazing. To oh fade them. Yeah, that's how far the hype train's gone there. Please, um, where do I go? You I, know, gotta, I, gotta I, I don't leave. buy I any of it. Money. Aaron Rodgers is already pointing fingers. Like, he's already casting aspersions. He's already mad at that the offensive line sucks. That's exactly what you signed up for, Holmes. You know, I know you do your, re- your own research, right? You're a big do-my-own-research guy on ayahuasca, whatever the hell that crap's called, right? You did your own research on what it means to be vaccinated or inoculated. You've done your own research on various scientific theories, and you've got your own research on medicine. Apparently, he didn't do any research on Mackay Becton, or you know, he didn't he didn't Google Dwayne Brown's age. You know, he didn't look at their depth chart before he went to the only team that wanted anything to do with him, which is just a fact. Um, so yeah, I, I don't I I look at their early season schedule. The first hint of adversity in a practice with the with the Carolina Panthers in a practice with the Carolina Panthers where nobody could touch anybody but when it comes to quarterbacks he's throwing a fit he's acting like a petulant bitch baby on the sidelines and he's throwing people under the bus and then everybody runs around and it's like oh my god what did they say what did they say what did they say and then they're having meetings where they're they're dividing their team before the media even gets around to do it because the quarterback's throwing a hissy fit on the sidelines cuz he's worried he might get hit he can't even get hit now remember no one's going to breathe on him and he's throwing a hissy fit when they're Two and four at the bye. <laughs> what do you think the narrative is going to be? How do you really feel, Jason? 
It's you know what the answer is going to be? I need more Randall Cobb. I need more of my other old ass guys. Like, all right, have fun with that. You better win ten nine every week. How many wins for my Finzies this year? I, I just you know it's it's the whole Tua thing, man. I, I if they get you know more than twelve starts out of him, I think it's a playoff team. If it's less than that, I I, I don't see it. You know, this Armstead thing gives me a little pause. Yeah. You know, the Ramsey thing isn't great. I know they're talking up all their young corners, but I don't know. In a weird way, I liked them more last year than this year because I kind of felt they were sne- like they sneaking had the, up you know, they could sneak up on some people early and be taken for granted. And everybody was throwing stones at Tua. And I'm like, have you watched him play? Like, do you ever watch them actually play? And now there's a weight of expectations. So, but they're a good football team. You know, they're a good NFC football West. team. NFC West. I think there's two interesting teams and two teams that are complete afterthoughts. One of which is dead set on getting the first overall pick. And the other one by November might be thinking and doing the exact same thing. I'm not a Brock Purdy guy. You know, I just, I'm not, I'm not saying I dislike him. I'm like agnostic about, I haven't seen enough about him to be putting him on a pedestal or, or dragging him. I'm just in sort of, I need to, I need to see it proven for real. Not when, like, every time he completes a pass five yards downfield, they're baking him cakes and they're they're throwing him parties because, my God, we've got a, a human being quarterback with a pulse, you know, who can complete a pass. Like, we're beyond that now. I mean, this is about winning a Super Bowl or bust. And there's got to be a weight of expectations on him as well. And I don't know. And, you know, they're a little long in the tooth in some key positions as well like left tackle and, you know, a couple injuries up front. I think the whole thing can crater. So I, I think it's a, you know, it's a two-team race. I don't know that Gino's going to have the season that he had, mm-hmm. um, especially maybe not the first 10 weeks that he had mm-hmm. where he was on uh, something of an MVP track. But I also think if the, you know, if everything around him is, is, is better and the defense is competent, then you don't have to do that to win. And we all know that that's not, you know, Pete Carroll would love to take the air out of the ball and win that way anyway. So, um, yeah, I'm intrigued by the Seahawks. I, I think they've bounced back in terms of, of their player procurement the last couple of weeks, uh, last couple of years versus some previous off seasons. And I think they can certainly give San Francisco a race out there. And, and again, in the NFC, you tell me. Well, you know. well, I'll besides tell you. Besides the Eagles, yeah. you know what I mean? Besides the not Eagles. Who, who, There's not who, many great teams. Who would you hang your hat on and say, that's a Super no. Bowl contender. There's not, I have no, a hard time no, doing it. No. There are virtually no teams that you say that about. But I would just play devil's advocate and say what you just said about Geno and the Seahawks, if they're better on defense, you don't have to do too much. You definitely could say the same thing about Purdy and the 49ers because they're so good on defense. How much does he have to really do for them to win 12 or 13 in a bad NFC? He doesn't have to do anything. Um, he just has to be okay. Yeah. And they're because they're so good defensively. If he's okay and they're great defensively, they win twelve or thirteen by default, don't they? 49ers? Well, about thirteen, but twelve ish, something. Yeah, I mean twelve. I yeah. I, yeah. I mean I, I just think in this day and age, like they're Super Bowl or bust. Like let's not not, I'm not talking about Super Bowl. I'm talking any other way. I'm talking like, about how I'm talking about teams that I think can win a Super Bowl. Yeah. I don't know that they're winning a Super Bowl in Brock Purdy's first year as a week one starter. I, I have a hard time putting my money on that. I'm not talking about them winning the Super Bowl. I'm talking about the NFC West. I'm trying to figure out a way where the Seahawks have bridged the gap enough to win the NFC West. 
And I hear well, I and mean, I hear what you're saying about Purdy. And I, by the way, I agree with just about everything you said about the 49ers. But I just keep coming back to how good they are on defense and how everybody in the NFC stinks. And I just don't yeah. see I don't see how unless they have a you know a catastrophic set of injuries on defense how they don't win 12 or 13 games. I can't close my eyes and visualize. I mean, that. probably. I, I still don't know that it's the greatest secondary in the world, and I think when they come up against elite, elite quarterbacks. Now, again, we can make the argument, who the hell is that in the NFC? And I'm with you, but you do have to play games against the other conference sometimes. A little bit. So I, I have some questions there. And, like, all I'm saying is the left tackle's got a long and, and, and checkered injury history, and so does the three-down running back, really four-down running back. And so you take one or both of them away, and I'm not sure that, that, that Brock Purdy is – even managing games the way you would like, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't think there's a ton in my mind, separating those Seattle and San Francisco. I don't think there's this, this huge gap okay. necessarily between them, but yeah. yes, if I was stacking them, if I had to rank the division order right now yeah. on paper, yeah. I would have San Francisco one and Seattle too. Last question before you go do your thing, offer some fantasy football league advice oh, on just on rookies because I don't follow it as closely as you do. Are any of these quarterbacks, rookie fantasy, quarterback, yeah. are any of these rookie quarterbacks well, I like going to be Bryce, I think, uh, I mean, I don't know about for fantasy purposes, but yeah. for gambling purposes, because that's where my okay. whole thing is now. Right, gambling purposes. I, I, think, yeah. I yeah. think there's some money to be made on the Carolina Panthers. Like, And a lot of these things are related. Like, there are corollaries to this. Like, if one theory is right, then there's two or three corollaries to that that I think can make you some money. And I think Bryce Young is the most pro-ready quarterback, period. And he also happens to play in a division that's completely wide open. And, you you know, I don't I don't know how you bang the table for any team in, in the NFC South. I think he's with a, a great coaching staff there. I think Frank Reich on a redemption tour after he got tossed aside for Jeff Saturday. And let's be real, the coach of the year, that's a human race. That's a, there are narratives to that, right? Like that's human beings voting on stories. You're not just voting on the record, right? You're not looking at advanced analytics to pick the coach of the year. So I think Frank Reich, first year there with a rookie quarterback, could do some damage. I love Josh McCown being a part of that mix. He, he went out and hired a coaching staff that isn't marred by cronyism and nepotism. 85% of this league is. So I think that kid, Bryce Young, fell into a great spot. I didn't love the offensive line in week one, obviously, um, of, the, of the preseason, but I, I also don't think that's a terrible unit. And I think they'll put that kid in positions to succeed and I don't know how long his career is going to be, but I think he'll be durable enough this year to help them win. They almost won the division last year with P.J. Welker and an interim head coach. So I think the Panthers are alive to win that division. And if that happens, then Bryce Young is definitely going to be in the mix for rookie of the year. And Frank Reich is probably in the coach of the year conversation. You can get a lot of plus money on that. You can get plus money on Carolina to win that division. Where else can you get plus money that you like? Uh, Jets to miss the playoffs. Yeah. Um, you can get, I think last I looked, I think it might've been plus 335 on the Steelers to win, to the, win division. the division. Oh boy. That's a tough division, man. Yeah, it is. God, you know, I, I don't, I would fade the Browns uh, the Browns win totals for me uh, around nine and a half. I, I just, I'll, I'll believe, I'll believe Jimmy Haslam's turned the corner when I, you know, when I see it and, I don't buy that quarterback. Wait a um, second. Did you say nine and a half? I believe so. I believe the Browns are at nine and a half. What? Yeah. Everybody in that division. Now, again, this is before the Marlon Humphrey injury with the Ravens. But as of the week, as of three days ago, the Bengals, I think, were at ten and a half. The Ravens 
and Browns were at nine and a half, and the Steelers were at nine. That was the win totals. Oh my God. So yes. So plus money on the Jets to miss the playoffs. Plus money on the Steelers to either win the division or go over the total. We uh, we're going under on the Cleveland Browns, and we yes. like and we like the Panthers to win the uh, yeah. AFC South. That's that's what we learned yes. today. Okay, yes. ladies and gentlemen, he is Jason Locke and Four. He's got seven jobs, so I won't list them. But one of the uh, non jobs that he has is to come on. Mitch unfiltered and tease us every once in a while. Thank you, Jason. Great to visit with you. You got it, brother. Enjoy the enjoy the preseason. Yeah. Thanks, okay. my friend. Okay. Bye bye. <laughs> it's been a while since we caught up with Jordan Flowers, my main man of the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. How's everything going in Jordan's world? Hey, Mitch, it's going fantastic. I'm uh, chasing old Mitchie in the <laughs> Manager of the Year Award for Little League Baseball. How many teams you got over there? You know, I was the manager of two, both my 10 and 8-year-old. Uh-huh. And I got to say, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be giving you a run for your money, Combined man. Combined record? Oh, gosh, we only lost probably six games. Oh, that's six season. more than I lose. I don't lose. Hey, hey, hey. All right, let's talk about the market, the buying and selling market. It's not easy these days, but it's still doable, especially for home buyers. Give us your analysis, Jordan. Absolutely. Uh, inventory is still a little tight, but better than it was. But we are winning a lot of offers and using that 2-1 buy-down program we've talked about. Tell me about that program. Yes. So basically what we do is we are negotiating with the sellers, getting a price that they want, getting a credit towards uh, closing costs for our buyers and they use that credit to then temporarily buy down the interest rate for the first two years of the home. So we get through this kind of elevated interest rate period with a 2% lower rate than what market is at. Are people still buying second homes and investment pieces? And what do you have to offer those types of clients? Yeah, people are buying in Arizona, California, Eastern Washington, kind of all over. We're helping people buy second homes and investment properties. We've got a couple great options for the investment property buyer, uh, especially uh, using that debt service underwriting ratio that we've talked about in the past where they don't even need to provide tax returns. Really what we look for is qualifying our buyers off of the cash flow of the property. So it's a great program right now for people looking to pick up investment properties at good prices, get an income producing property. Is there a way to have a best guess of what the next six months or a year look like? Does Jordan Flowers have a crystal ball? <laughs> I thought I had a crystal ball, but you know. <laughs> Is it Ernie Zampezi's story? I'm not going to say when. I'm just going to know it's coming, right? <laughs> like We're going to get through this, and they're coming back down. I think, I think we should expect for the rest of this year rates to maintain in the 6% range. Maybe we see them by the end of the year get back down in the fives. But I will say when they do come back into the low sixes to mid fives, it will, again, open up floodgates for buyers and for sellers bringing properties on. So there is pent-up demand. It's sitting there, and it's just we're, we're waiting. Well, I've always loved Jordan Flowers and his team at uh, both companies, not Cross Country Mortgage, the Woodenville office, because they're willing to take your phone call and be creative. Think outside the box. And 
to reach you on a phone that doesn't have a full voicemail? Jordan Flowers? <laughs> hey, listen, I just got a new phone. Okay. My kids like to tease me that I'm the no upgrader. Okay. I don't upgrade my phone. Okay. I've had the same one for six years. All right. And I've now upgraded it, and I'm setting up the voicemails. Everything's going to be Phone number? Here. Same phone number? Give us the number, please. 425-890-2957 is the best one to reach me on. The Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage and JFlow, Jordan Flowers, without God like him and companies like theirs where would mitch unfiltered be cross country mortgage unfiltered episode 251 other stuff segment with hotshot scott i hope you enjoyed the uh, the interviews there Woo-wee. that was fun we had a little fireworks with jason lock and flora who's <laughs> yeah. annoyed at how we treated his buddy Felix, King Felix, whoever he is. Felix Batista, I think his yeah. name. Having a great year for the Baltimore Orioles. Wasn't there like a King Felix, like an Aztec? I'm king sure, or, I'm sure. Like, didn't we rip that off too, by the way? Like, I mean, it's like, why are we so protective of it? Who gives a shit? The only thing that bothered me, and I cut a little bit of it out, I'll just be honest with you, so it's not really unfiltered. You know who got caught in the crossfire between Seattle Mariners fans and Baltimore Orioles fans who claim they never really called him King Felix and we made a mountain out of a molehill and Softy did what Softy did and yada yada. Yeah. You know who got caught in the crossfire? Who? Felix Hernandez. Oh, really? You know, Baltimore Orioles, oh, you're 189-game winner. Oh, God. You know, and we... And, and on Felix Hernandez night, you remember who they played on Felix Hernandez night on that Saturday night at uh, T-Mobile? Yeah, they they played the Baltimore yeah. Orioles. And you know who got the save? The other Felix uh. got the save. So all of a sudden, Felix Hernandez wasn't even all that good. All of a sudden, he got caught in the crossfire. <laughs> now he's getting shit and on I love Felix. Reason. I love Felix Hernandez. <laughs> God, so, what a mess. It's a mess. Yeah. You right. want to start on other stuff? You want me to start? Go ahead. Do you want me to start with, and I, I think the last few weeks I've given you on the other stuff, stories that I absolutely love and I don't know why. You okay. know how I do that? Sure, yeah. I've got one to start. Okay. The other stuff segment. I don't know why I love this story. Maybe it's obvious. Maybe it's not. Do you know who Sage Steele is? I think so. She's the somewhat controversial, outspoken, politically now former ESPN Sports Center anchor. Yeah, yeah, that's one right. Of the, yeah. One of the long lists of Sports Center anchors who got who got dismissed during the layoffs or whatever. But she's been outspoken about mm-hmm. different things. She says on a podcast this week, Barbara Walters assaulted her <laughs> backstage during the appearance on The View. And I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't find yeah, this funny. I, I know. Close your eye. I mean, if you can visualize Sage Steele, she's like, she's like 105 pounds soaking wet. Right. You can picture like old lady Barbara Walters. Right. The old thing. Quote, it was Barbara, Whoopi, and myself in the dark green room off to the side. I was probably about four feet from the wall and the trash can, and Barbara was standing over here in front of me. She just started to back up toward me looked at me, got close to me, and then elbowed me and pushed me back into the wall and the trash can. I was like, what is she doing? This 140-year-old woman just trying to tackle me. (laughs) This comes after a segment on The View about Barack Obama 
Steele had previously made some controversial comments about the former president on Jay Cutler's podcast, calling his choice to identify as black, quote, fascinating considering his black dad was nowhere to be found. Steele continued, some of the producers saw it, Whoopi saw it, and Whoopi was like, come here, she was great. She pulled me aside in her little area and she's like, don't let Barbara do that to you. And I'm like, am I in a movie right now? One of the (laughs) legends of the industry just tried to beat me up. Don't let Barbara, almost like it's a thing that Whoopi's seen before. Don't let her do that. (laughs) Barbara Walters at like 80 was like trying to beat up Sage Steele. And I love that story. Makes me, makes me kind of miserable, doesn't it? A little bit. Yeah. More so than normal. But you talk about Sage being, how much could Barbara Walters have possibly weighed at 80 years old? I mean, 112. Exactly. Like really? She's throwing elbows. That's how she, she, she shoved she her into the garbage can. God, that's unbelievable. Yeah, I saw that story. I couldn't believe <laughs> Great time to talk about it now that Barbara's dead, right? She can't defend herself. You think it's completely true, if you had to guess? Well, why would she make that up? It is a Barbara weird thing what? to make up, but God, it's I so... think, yeah, I think that it's Barbara so... was scrappy in her old age. <laughs> I guess so. You don't want to get on her bad side. <laughs> Maybe that's how she got to where she was. All right, Larsa Pippen and Marcus oh, Jordan. Yeah, oh, yeah. They went from, ah, we're just friends to a wedding date. Yes. I mean, holy shit. The happy couple hit up Jones and West Hollywood for dinner on Wednesday. And as they were leaving the restaurant, Marcus was asked if wedding bells were in the future. And yeah. Quote, we're looking for a location, Yeah, Jordan said, with a big smile on his face. So I guess those two are... And Michael doesn't like it. We know that. Oh, doesn't he? can't stand it. But he's got to go to his son's wedding, doesn't he? My question is, are her parents on the hook for this wedding? <laughs> Do they have I think to there's pay? plenty of money. <laughs> don't, don't worry about the money you imagine, involved. You imagine like, Jordan's on the other side of the family and you're stuck with the wedding bill? <laughs> Let the billionaire pay for it, would you? I think as preposterous as it sounds, <laughs> the kicker to that story should be... That Scotty gets an invite to the wedding. Oh, my gosh. Speak now or forever hold your peace. I want Scotty and Michael Jordan at that reception. I, I know Scotty Pippen won't be invited. Why would he be invited to his ex-wife's right. next? Jordan's got to go. It's his son. Oh, he has he? to go. He has yeah, to it's go. His son. Yeah. But, oh, God. This might be the thing that brings Michael and Scotty back together. No, it's not bringing them back Their together. common hatred for we this don't want that. relationship. Have you seen the bizarre Jimmy Graham's incident yeah. story over it's the weekend? Weird Are you buying sad. it? I don't know. Is it for us to buy or not buy? I was never a big Jimmy Graham fan personally when he was here. Okay. There was something about him that kind of rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. And who for me, who am I to say anybody rubbed me the wrong way? Right, but yeah. I'm just telling you because it's unfiltered <laughs> and my name's on the on the title. New Orleans Saints tight end Jimmy Graham was arrested in Newport Beach, California on Friday night on suspicion of being under the influence of narcotics and obstructing a police officer. According to the police, the Saints said team doctors believe that 36-year-old Graham had a seizure that resulted him becoming disoriented. Graham was found wandering in traffic, yeah. according to TMZ, when police arrived at 7.39 p.m. New Orleans Saints tight end Jimmy Graham experienced a medical episode, says the team, last evening, which resulted him in becoming disoriented. He was taken into custody by local authorities, transported to a local hospital for evaluation for what Dr. John Amos believes to be a likely seizure. No reason not to believe the story, but... It's just weird. If he's someone who has seizures, we should probably pull his pilot's license away from him. Oh, my God. Perhaps his driver's license. And if this is a thing. Did we know that he, this was a thing? Wouldn't we have known all these years that this Maybe. was a thing? Are they able no. to keep that stuff secret? I don't know. 
It does feel like they're covering a little bit. I don't bit. know. It, I don't it was kind of quick. That, I can't imagine he was inebriated, was he? He was on a trip with his team to go play a preseason game in L.A. against the Chargers. I don't know. Maybe I don't know what a seizure is, but... Do you wander in traffic after having a seizure? doesn't feel like it. I don't know. Maybe he was disoriented. I don't know. I don't know. If, if he does need help, I hope he gets it. I think but we're going to just... be coming back to the story next week. You think so? Yeah, I think yeah. more will come out. Cops are now on the hunt for the person who allegedly nabbed Sabrina Ionescu's sneakers from an WNBA arena earlier this week. You see that? No. She got her shoes stolen. Yeah. And she was pissed off. she's a superstar. That's what happens to superstars. Well, apparently... She she shouldn't be pissed off. She should be happy. Well, they're not available yet, these shoes. So what? She should be happy. I don't know. She, I think you kind of transcend WNBA when people are trying to steal your shoes. It's probably tells, a tells good you sign. how popular yeah. you are. Yeah, You're probably right. She said, "Please just bring my insoles back." That's all she wanted were the insoles ripped to my Sabrina ones. So her Sabrina ones are scheduled to come out on September first. By the okay. way, she's the first women's hoop player to create yeah. a unisex collection with Nike. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So her she's, she's going to make player. a lot of money. She's a great player. Great player. Great yes. player. I don't want to spend too much time on either of these kind of sad stories, but I'll I'll bring them up because they should be brought up. The Wander Franco story, <sighs> accused of inappropriate relationships with multiple underage girls to the tune of 14, yep. married. If true, the obvious sadness for the young girls and their families. If true, one of the great young stars in baseball may never play again. If true, he will never collect on this multi- million dollar hundred million dollar contract that was going to set up generations of his family to come the whole thing just stinks yep i'm hoping it's not true for all the particulars involved right. but man it's hanging over the world of baseball like a very dark cloud yeah it's a very sad story very troubling story i so. uh currently parent a 14 year old girl and yes you the do thought of that makes yeah my stomach uh, nauseous, I so I really so. hope, hope it's this not is true. Yeah, all not true. Then the it's Michael Ower blindside story. Yeah, I, following I, it at all? I love the movie so much. I'm staying I, I away from this. I don't want to know. I this. don't either. I want to believe the movie. I want to believe the movie. I know. I, can't. I love Sandra Bullock's performance. You're gonna have to give away her Oscar. They're coming after her. She had nothing yeah. to fucking do with it. She yes. just, she just took a, after, a role in a movie. They're coming after the author of Blindside. They're coming after everybody. All because the actual player involved, Michael Ower, formerly of the Baltimore Ravens, yeah. says the story was made up. It's not true. I was never even officially adopted. The family continues to profit on millions and millions over lies on my story, and I'm not getting a nickel. Ugh. I don't know whether this is just a, a bitter former ball player who would like to cash in a little bit more on the blind side. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. You like that movie? I mean, I'm a big fan. I love the movie. So do I. Absolutely love it. I don't want to hear this. I'm like, wah, 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 I purposely stayed away from it. I don't want to hear it. Because now he's... Do you like Sandra Bullock? I love Sandra Bullock. So great. And she just lost her husband. Have you seen this? Yeah, yeah, To ALS, the Lou Gehrig's disease. Oh, my God. And now she's being put through... She she just accepted a movie role. I just took a role and won an Oscar. People are saying she should give her Oscar back. Right. Over this. So if somebody plays Charles Manson... They should have to give the money back. I mean, how does that work? Where you're, you're no. she's just an actress. Leave her alone for God's sake. Give her sake. another one. She was so good in that too, by yeah, the way. She's great. When she storms onto the practice field and sure. grabs by the face mask. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Great movie. So yeah. it's kind of bumming me out. It is this bumming whole me out. Story. I don't like it. I don't like it. All right. The United Airlines pilot. Did you see the guy that was caught on camera chopping down a parking gate with an axe? No. You know the gates that come down, like when yeah, you put your little ticket in, and of course. 63-year-old Kenneth... You got one outside the house. You do. I have you to have pay to every ticket. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do you... Uh, what's it called? Do you... Uh, 
Uh, validate. No, Valid. do, do you validate on my no, way out? No, we don't. Right. No. 63 year old Kenneth Jones went eight shit earlier. Of, you have to spend X amount of money here. <laughs> like Barnes and Noble used to do that. He went completely ape shit at the at exit of an employee parking lot at the Denver yeah. International Airport. He's, I don't know why he had an axe in his car. He whacks it nearly two dozen times before it finally fell off. Mm. He was arrested and. Mm. You know, he caused $700 worth of damage. But as far as the reason for the axe outburst, Jones reportedly told cops he just hit his breaking point. I don't condone this, but I feel like I've been there with those goddamn things and you're putting your ticket in and it's not working and there's not a human and no one's answering. And I sort of get like, and where are those people that you call? Are they in yeah, some exactly. country? Just make a book are they in them. Libya or I somewhere? Know, where, where are those people? He probably got done with like an 18 hour flight or so. I just want to go home. The guy in Libya says, all uh, right, I'm going to lift the gate. I'm like, how do you, how can you lift the gate? I know. What do you got? Look, some sort of a control back there? Just have a human there for things like this. I kind of feel bad for him. All right. The world's nicest and greatest human being there's another story about her you know who that is taylor swift taylor swift go on handful of universities and colleges now offering taylor swift college courses oh my god i kid you not gent university in belgium university of texas in austin we'll yes. go check it out <laughs> new york university stanford arizona state all of these universities are now offering a course focused on swift's lyrics discography as well as your potential impact there's a new course at arizona state called are you ready for this psychology of taylor swift 101 advanced topics of social psychology will be offered this alexandra warmly i gotta get her on the phd student in the department of psychology will be teaching the course warmly told arizona state news she feels using swift as an entry point will spark meaningful conversations and serve as a teaching tool for learning advanced psychology concepts stanford university for god's sakes has a as a Taylor Swift course. I mean, they, yeah. Colleges are giving Did away. Did you hear what I just said? I know, but they're giving away scholarships for esports now. Like, it's a different time. It's a different time in college. I know. What's the purpose? Like, I like her, but what's the purpose and the point of having that? For what? To learn more because about. Because she's the world's best human being. I guess so, yeah. The greatest Everybody musician who ever lived. Her. Yeah. Everybody loves her. She can do no wrong. It's crazy. Oh, speaking of. Yes. Of artists that nobody or that everybody loves i yep. somebody has a bone to pick with you you know for, for a story you did last time Uh oh tina knowles you know that name tina knowles yeah well she's the mom of beyonce knowles yes 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 and she's laughing off a report about beyonce bringing personal toilet seats around with her on tour ah she true. says it's a case of mistaken identity when asked about the viral photo for her Renaissance tour that shows a container labeled Beyonce toilet seats. Right. She says the, the box doesn't actually have toilet seats inside as some news outlets reported, like Mitch Levy. She says Beyonce's tour uses the boxes to position fans on stage. Stop it. For some reason, these things are Stop called it. toilet seats. Beyonce wants her own toilet seat. Leave it alone. <laughs> Tina says the notion that she wants uh, such a diva thing is, oh my is God. so ridiculous. So she's not happy with you, Tina Knowles. Are you saddened over the Britney Spears news? I think I have a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I think I have a shot. <laughs> well, no, you better act quick because she typically gets on with the next yeah, one. Yeah, I don't right. have abs. Sam Asgari, no I don't know how you say his name. They're divorcing after like... A yeah. few months. She finally did something, or somebody in her life did something right. She had a prenup that he gets nothing. Yeah, but I don't know if the prenup's going to hold up. Well, it may, may get challenged. I think he gets to keep whatever she bought him, like cars. She and that is kind celebrating of thing. by buying a horse. 
as one does. She, uh, on her Instagram, <laughs> said, so many options, it's kind of hard. A horse named Sophie, another named Roar. I can't make up my mind. I'm buying a horse. In her first post after announcing a divorce with husband, estranged husband, Sam Asgari. So it's like a cat in a hat book. When you get divorced, you buy a horse. One year from today, August 20th, 2024. Will she have been remarried and divorced one time in a year? What will happen to her in the next year if you're asked to predict? She will be either, She'll be married, definitely, right? If at least engaged. At least engaged. Yeah. In a year? And may, maybe married within a year. Yeah. 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 There's I don't know. There's something going on with her. I wish her all the very best, but it seems a little It's not right. Not yeah. Right. All right, I got RIP, so if you have any other stories that you'd like to get in before the RIPs, we can do that. I don't feel like I should laugh about this, but when I read the headline, it's yeah. it's a California man caught on a viral TikTok sniffing women's butts at a Barnes and Noble. What? Was arrested last week. Have you seen this guy? I didn't even think that there were Barnes and Nobles anymore. I'm glad you focus on that part of the story. <laughs> That's the most important part. I didn't either. But he's already back on the streets despite a lengthy criminal record. Apparently, this woman caught him. He he sneaks down behind women in stores and like sniffs their butts. Yeah. Right. Yes. Keep shaking your head. I know. I don't get it either. But you, there's videos of it. You can see it. He was arrested for what appears videos to be. Videos of it? Yeah. People are like, video of it, this guy. It's, so is he thrown in jail? They throw him in jail or But not? he just recently got out. That's the thing. Uh. And he's got this long criminal record. So... He's got a long list of arrests over the years, but was let go pretty quickly in August. Burbank PD currently working on handing over its findings mm. regarding the investigation, but okay. no charges have been filed yet. So stay away from that guy if you're in a Barnes and Noble. And then the wrestler uh, known as Sonny, Tammy Stitch. No. Tammy Stitch? No. Sonny was a pretty pretty big wrestler. She's no, in a lot of trouble. She pleaded no contest to a felony charge of a DUI causing death, facing 25 oh, no. years in prison. Yeah, I don't know who Sonny is. Though. Yeah, a lot of uh, our listeners will probably know oh, she's really? going through some weird okay. stuff. You see okay. the matador that was violently gored in his ass during a bullfight? No. What is the fascination with taunting and teasing these animals that are stronger than 15 men and have these enormous horns? Yeah. What is that? You know, Rickles talked about he loved going to bullfights. Did he? Yeah. Is that a true? Is that a shtick? No, he, he loved it. Him and his wife would go to Mexico. Barbara? Yeah, him and Barbara. Yeah. <laughs> My wife, Barbara. Anyway. Barbara and I, here. I'll, I'll, so when I tell you how long I've been married, you, you clap for me, okay? Okay. Uh, uh, my lovely wife, Barbara, and I, we just celebrated 35 years of marriage. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, why are you clapping? You never saw her. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> Don't clap. You never saw her. Such a dick. Anyway, this guy got mauled pretty badly. If you want to see that, yeah. some people are into that. They yeah. they love watching the guys get mauled by these bulls. But oh, that was rough. I root then, for the bulls. Definitely root for the bulls when they're running from them and, and down the streets totally. of Pamplona. How can oh, you not? They're yeah, just teasing the them and teasing. An OnlyFans model using her nude photos to raise money for Maui wildlife relief efforts can no longer crowdfund on GoFundMe because the platform shut down her efforts. Really? She said, if you if you send ten bucks, I'll send it to the Maui relief fund. I'll send you a nude picture. And people were doing it. And they, she was raising a lot of money. And GoFundMe said, no, nah, that violates right. our policy. So guess where she took her her, her line of work? Right on over to OnlyFans. <laughs> they don't care. Come on over. You can do whatever you want on ours. Some really sad RIPs, Hotshot Scott. Yep. Really sad. A couple of really sad RIPs. We start with Alex Collins, yeah. the former Arkansas running back who was drafted in 2016 by our own Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, that was... My goodness gracious, Motor, <sighs> motorcycle crash. I don't understand motorcycles. I'll never understand the thrill of motorcycles. Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Sunday night. 
Um, God, what was he, 26 years old? 26. 20, or 20, 26 or 28. 28 years old. He led Baltimore 973 yards rushing, six touchdowns. Of course, he was very popular here in Seattle. People loved him because he knew how to line dance, uh, the Irish dance. Yeah, yeah. And there's that video of him with kids yep. that were bullied yeah. for liking that in high school. Gosh, I, Alex Collins, dead at the age of uh, 26, 27, something like that. I, I keep my motorcycle endorsement every year because it was kind of hard for me to get it, so I, I don't want to lose it, even Ooh. though I even though I don't have a bike and I, I, don't, I probably will never own another street bike. But yeah. that GSX-R600 that he had, it's a 2004. No idea. 160 mile an hour, top speed, zero to 60, and those things are fucking crazy fast. So fast. And there's zero protection. There's no seatbelts. There's no airbags. There's no crumple zones. Nothing. You're just sitting on top of a rocket, man. There's so... The older I get, the more scared I get. I'm not well, trying to preach to everyone, be, but God, they scare like, me. There'll be laws against riding mo motorcycles on, on highways and streets. You think they'll ever... No, they'll never no, it that. seems very un-American. If somebody yeah. wants to ride a motorcycle, they're welcome. Toronto to. Maple Leafs Ugh. forward prospect, yeah. Rodion Amarov, Jeez. 21 years old. The club's 2020 first-round pick had a brain tumor diagnosis back in 2021. Uh, he joined the Maple Leafs taxi squad, 15th overall pick in 20, passes away of brain cancer at the age of 21. Whole life ahead of him. Going to be a star. 21. You, yeah. you probably don't know the name Magoo. He was a rapper. So mm -hmm. Timbaland. I remember Mr. Magoo. Yeah, <laughs> different person. But Timbaland Roz. and Magoo, they were, a, they were a big, they were really big when I was at Cube 93. So yeah. anyway, Magoo, yeah. the rapper, real name. Melvin Barcliffe passed away. Cause of death not disclosed. No more details about the circumstances around okay. it. 50 years old for the rapper okay. Magoo. Chris Peluso, who portrayed Sophie's fiance Sky in the Broadway show Mamma Mia. Mm. And toured Wicked as Fierro died August 15th. He had a schizophrenic or schizoaffective disorder. Uh, and he passes away uh, on August the 15th. An actor by the name of Ron Cephas Jones, the Emmy Award winning actor for the role in This Is Us, has died. 66 years old. Yeah. Long standing pulmonary issue. And Photoshop maker Adobe co-founder wow john warnock 82 years old he co-founded adobe Woo. in 1982 with charles geschke ever used adobe every day doesn't everyone use it every day still? i think so yeah he retired as ceo in 2000 was chairman of the board position he shared with geschke until 2017 the current ceo says it's a sad day for the adobe community and the industry for which he has been an inspiration for decades Photoshop maker Adobe's co-founder, John Warnick, 82 years old. Clarence Avant, or Clarence Avant, the music executive known to many as the Black Godfather, he passed away. He quickly became a pioneer in the world of music, managing countless singers and performers like yeah. Sixto Rodriguez, Bill Withers, mm -hmm. uh, Jimmy Jam, and Terry Lewis. He founded two record labels in his time, Venture and Sussex. He went on to launch the first African-American-owned FM radio station, brokered the sale of Stax Records. Stax was sort of like Motown's big competitor, mm -hmm. became the chairman of the board of Motown, getting inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame at 92 years old. He passed mm. away. So he was kind of a big deal, Clarence. Okay. All right, time for some headlines. Headlines. A Take us out, Hotshot. A woman was caught trying to smuggle cocaine through an airport by hiding it in her private area. Hmm. I always wondered how they turned cocaine into crack. <laughs> Sunflower field owners <laughs> beg visitors to stop taking nude photos in our fields. Uh. After three naughty shoots held in one day, 
I'm not uptight, but taking naked pics next to a stranger's sunflowers feels a bit seedy. An artist from Indiana sets a Guinness World Record for the smallest spoon made of wood. The tiny spoon measures 1.6 millimeters long. Oh my God. And can only be used to eat one type of food, frosted mini wheats. And finally, <laughs> Colombian scientists have identified a species of beetle that has an abnormally large penis, making it by far and away the beetle with the largest genitalia. Whoa, whoa, not so fast, said Paul McCartney. You didn't see that one coming, huh? I thought maybe you would have jumped on that. <laughs> the beetle you with the largest gone, You could have gone Ringo. Yeah, could have, yes. Could have gone. I, I think Paul has a bigger one. That's just my guess. I don't know why. Uh, I just feel that. I'm yeah. going to withdraw from that. Uh, <laughs> episode <laughs> 251, Mobile, Alabama. Any parting Any parting thoughts? You're out next week. I'll be at Lake Cachise. Come say hi if you're camping Dave at Lake Cachise. And Graz will be sitting it. Dave. By the way, happy anniversary to the Graz and Bonnie. They saw, I, I saw on Facebook, I think, 34 years Good or something. Good for them. Like Good for them. I mean, Bonnie is a real catch. I love Bonnie. The fact that she's still with Graz, and he would admit it, he'd be the first one to, to agree with me. It's pretty impressive. So There's no line coming now, is Congratulate. No, I... <laughs> it feels like I'm taking a shot at the Graz, but he'd probably agree with me. It's shocking uh, that she's been with this man 34 years. Episode awesome. 251, ladies and gentlemen. Mitch Unfiltered. Okay, so it wasn't so good. But next week, oh, I promise next week. When I'm gone. Yeah. When that's gone. when it'll be good. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. Send your emails about Hasha. <laughs>